This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jarrett Duncan. I'm Jay Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're dusting off the bagpipes and whiskey as we watch Ooh. Spine 225 in the Criterion Collection, Ronald Neem's Tunes of Glory from 1960. But first, RJ, mm. ah. how, how are you? You were mentioning the neglect your cat is feeling. I just want to get that yeah. out there. You're neglecting your cat. Well, Jarrett, I would say that uh, over the last two months, she's been accustomed to, I think, 23 hours of hanging out a day uh, and the one hour out of that being, you know, cooking or uh, showering or something. And uh, today uh, I haven't had any time to we've been in the same house, Mm -hmm. but uh, she hasn't had any time to kind of like sleep on top of uh, my my tummy, Mm -hmm. my big old tummy or my legs. So uh, she. She was in here and she was looking pretty sad, man. So uh, let's wrap this shit up and uh, let's go. <laughs> get to, get to the cuddles. Get to going. Yeah. So uh, no, she's used to a new s- schedule now, which will be, uh, I guess, harder when work resumes. Mm-hmm. I guess. But well, I was busy today, so you know, yeah. it's, it is what it is. That's outstanding. Well, yeah. What What about you? Are you neglecting your loved ones or? All oh, oh, when? When am I not? When are you not? Give me an example. <laughs> Um, of a time you let someone down, (laughs) disappointed them. Jeez, man. Is that, that that light seems a little hot over there. (laughs) Well, how long do we got? Cause uh, I mean, if you have this list already available, these are the, these are the ways in which you've hurt me, Jarrett. Cool. Hey, speaking of hurting people, uh, did uh, Uh. Sam Sanchez send you some friend codes for his children? Uh, he did not. Wow, uh, I can't I don't, believe it. Well, he doesn't. I didn't really. I didn't want his friend, his kids' friend codes. I was wondering if he had a profile, but I guess maybe he doesn't because he probably doesn't play video games on there. Because if he had a profile, he could send me his friend code. But neither did George C. Scott Bailey. Uh, but oh. coming in under the wire, friend of the show Oliver Granger, he hooked me up with his <gasps> friend code. So now uh, we have our own little club of uh, the the real the real uh, gamers out there. A real, the real uh, is it a creep crossing? Uh, it could be. He doesn't have Animal Crossing right now, so uh, we can't hang out on each other's islands. But uh, if he did, we would get on that, Oliver. Yeah, get on it. And well, I mean, he, he he said something about like having kids, and he just had another baby, and his life is like hectic and i i don't know a bunch of shit i wasn't really paying attention so who cares right who cares who cares so yeah it's uh been animal crossing how about you do you ever uh, play animal crossing never i have um i've never played a single second of animal crossing to my knowledge you understand the concept though right a kind of uh it does get brought up in uh the chronicles of christian um, he's, mm-hmm. he, he was a big fan of uh, Animal Crossing. Sure. I'm sure he's very happy right now. Um, <laughs> or she, I guess. Um, but uh-huh. in the, in the Christian era, yeah, there was, a some people looked into the, the window of Christian's life and saw like, oh, there's hoarding going on in the video game and in real life. So mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of collecting of things and you have like a bunch of properties and you put stuff in it. And then there's yep. like little like AI people you can interact with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember people making a point of even like the little AI people seem to run away from Christian approaching. People are very cruel. 
Yeah. Well, I get it because uh, the villagers can be uh, can be super cruel, man. If you don't like give them presents and talk to them daily and give them attention and love, then uh, they leave. They're like up your nose with a rubber hose, double bird, and then they uh, leave your island, man, and they never come back. Won't be looking at that situation with your cats if you don't smarten up. They don't have. A, they don't know how to drive, so they can't really go anywhere. Well, they got. They have paws. What in this neighborhood? They won't. <laughs> They'll 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 open the door, see see how bad things have gotten outside, and they'll just be like, "No, thank you." Yeah, they'll see all the the coyotes. Well, coyotes uh, raping and pillaging left and right. Uh, people are breaking into other people's houses for flour and uh, yeast. Uh, assume Italy. I can only assume. <laughs> That's so just, that uh, this has happened. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, because of the the global grocery panic that overtook the world, uh, I I'm, I'm guessing people are breaking in just for those baked goods. How, how many uh, sourdough starters do you have on the go? Well, I only have the one, but uh, that one's kind of personal to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's your close personal friend. Well, it's on my it's on my person at all times. Yeah, your pet. What what what, what is its name? Pete. Pete. Yeah. Very nice. Pete. It's got whiskers. It's as good as any name. What would you call your uh, sourdough starter? Sourdough starter. Oh. The first. The first? Yeah. Oh. No. Have you done any baking, Jared? Uh, Or cooking? I got to to enjoy some baking yesterday. It was Mm. a Earl Grey tea cake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had some Earl Grey cookies, like Fancy Boys, before. Mm. Those are pretty good. Yeah, How was the cake? Uh, pretty good. Um, has like an excellent, nice crust on it. I find that actually uh, a really nice little uh, addition to uh, a, a loaf for a cake is sour cream. Yeah, yeah, sour cream, or you can put in Greek yogurt too. So, yeah, so, some yeah. maniacs put mayonnaise in their cakes, which I think is a bit much. But we we do sour cream yeah. or Greek yogurt into yeah. uh, some of our cakes and pies. Yeah, I really, uh, I don't know what it does. A lot of moisture, a lot of moisture. Uh, that sometimes... oh, moist. Oh, moist. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it it, uh, it does help. Are you going to be putting a, a dollop of that in all of your uh, caked goods from now on? I don't know. When when I, I'll look for those types of recipes that have it because that means they must have something going on. Mm. Good you know point. I, but uh, speaking of uh, cooking creeps, uh, made myself a baked bean recipe in a in the old okay. Dutch oven, and it uh-huh. was uh, outstanding. Just a big pile of baked beans. Fucking big pile of baked beans. Did you soak them? Soak those beans uh-huh, uh-huh. for like a whole day, and uh-huh. then uh, got those cooking for forty-five minutes, and then made the sauce, Ooh. molasses, and some ketchup, Ooh. and some some cayenne pepper. Uh, threw some jalapenos in there, bacon and uh, onions and mayonnaise. No, no sour cream or mayonnaise, sadly. Okay, okay. Where'd you uh, get dried beans at this this time? Over last, that. I was at the grocery store. All the dried good stuff was like, Umami. like taped up. Your mommy had tons. Oh. Yeah. Like a, like, what kind of beans, though? The, these were like, they weren't uh, navy beans, but they were like, it's like, mongo zebodoa, some, something like nonsensical. Interesting. And I was just like, hey, it's it's literally white beans. I wasn't, I was suspect. I was like, what's, yeah. I, I'm like, hey, y'all don't got no white beans. And then mm. she's like, yeah, we do. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, these will work. She's like, oh, yeah, it's the same thing. I'm like, cool. And then I learned something. 
What I was actually looking for was uh, mm. this apparently uh, a magic little ingredient addition for uh, Indian cooking. Asafoetida, okay. I think is what it goes Asafetida? by. Asafoetida? Asafoetida. Okay. What's that? It's like a pungent little amount of powder, but uh, it has like kind of a like a rank oniony smell, but you don't eat, you obviously don't eat it, but like mm-hmm. you put it in your cooking and it just gives it that flavor. And apparently it's like the, the magic ingredient that a lot of uh, Indian food, uh, put, like they use in restaurants and stuff like that. Mm. That makes people go, Oh, that's what I like. And it's this, it's, but it's like, you don't need much. It's just like a little bit will do you because I was looking for this stuff and I couldn't find it. And they actually keep it by the till for some reason. And the, uh-huh. the packaging doesn't anywhere say asafoetida until in, except in the small print. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's it. And, uh, Oh, Crack that open and give it a smell. Whew. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I've got a whole should, lot of it now, but uh, you should crack me open and give me a smell. Do you know what I mean? Oh boy, <laughs> that came out weirder than I thought it would be. What? But you know how I sometimes say what you say back at you. Yeah, the show's getting. Uh, we're getting desperate in uh, week eight of uh, the uh, wow. the show here. Or. Week seven is Justin Peterson writes, but we're not there yet. He was what? He was our last. Think, he, he was our last email of the day, so we'll get there. We'll, okay. we'll I think. We'll, don't we have a week ahead on uh, American? I guess so. I, I've lost track. Doesn't really matter. It, Anyways, yeah. I, I just like to apologize to the world for that rank smell talk that uh, just happened there. So. Crack, cracking you open and taking a whiff, yeah. like hey, RJ. You know, RJ, you know, I thought everyone used I, to I'm, watch. I, I'm supposed to be. The king creep around here. I I know. I I didn't even it didn't even register with me because sometimes without even thinking I just parrot what you say back at you mm-hmm. like as a form of uh, insult, and then uh, it came out and I was like, oh, it's weird. <laughs> you you congratulations, you've played yourself. <laughs> you've played yourself. Hey, you know that Criminal Mind show? Uh, that used yes. to be really popular. Yes. I used to watch it like 10, 15 years ago, whenever it was like in season one or two. And uh, I remember the point where I had it. There was a guy talking and he was a necrophiliac. And he was like, you think I'm the only one who likes to crack open a cold one? Uh, and I, yeah. I just turned the TV off. I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> I was like, I'm done with whatever this show is. Yeah, that sounds like so, me. I was like, that is uh, oh, not me writing. Uh, that's something that a listener of the show, Lawrence, would uh, <laughs> come up with. <laughs> Come up with yeah. It's yeah. that that's his speed, and he understands. Not not. There's no insult there. <laughs> well, if uh, but RJ, clearly you don't know good writing, is what I'm saying. I clearly I don't. I I'm just saying that was the point I checked out of that show. So I imagine this cracking open uh, bodies and getting a good whiff uh, of this podcast is where a lot of people are gonna. They're d- big, maybe they're big fans off. of uh, necromantic. Could be. We better ask corpse. Right. I'm sure that's a corpse pick. Yeah, I, I'm sure he's busy. Driving truck all across this great country, delivering toilet paper and it's essential gore. services, Jarrett. And gore. God bless them. We need them. We need more. We need gore more than ever. Sure, sure. First stop for emails. Uh huh. Frank Sanchez. Frank Sanchez. It feels so like forever ago. Wait a minute. Is this a new person named Frank Sanchez, Sanchez? or is this? You said Frank Sanchez. Did I say Frank Sanchez? Yeah. So it's I was all like, blurring. Is this Frank Santoro, Sam Sanchez, or is it someone else that we remember? Someone wrote in one See, time with this very. Is, this is what message. happens when Sam Sanchez and Frank Solano's names are literally right on top of one another. Uh, I gotcha. Yeah. Well, whatever. Crack it open. I'm writing this email 
While mm. literally in the process of opening my new shipment pre-order from Vinegar Syndrome, which includes the April releases, thought it was apropos given our talk last week on spending needless amounts of money on plastic garbage. I'll likely be logging these on Letterboxd over the next couple of days and then place them on a shelf never to be touched again. Yeah. Mm. So I'd like to say thank you uh, to you dapper gentlemen for having me on last week. Not sure how it turned out. Couldn't bring myself to listen, but I know I had some fun doing it and appreciate you guys humoring me for about four total hours. Now that I've taken a peek behind the curtain, it blew my mind to see the real RJ, not just the character he plays and see that he's the one behind the scenes pulling all the levers and strings and running the Mm -hmm. whole deal. Mm -hmm. He is -hmm. the true puppet master, just Mm -hmm. a modest man that lets Jared get all the credit, the accolades, Mm and the letterboxed followers. Kudos, mm, yeah. RJ. It's uh, heavy as the crown, and uh, it's my cross to bear, I suppose, but uh, someone's got to do it, right, Cher? It was a blast being on, guys. Appreciate it, and appreciate the time committed to doing this on a weekly basis. Mm. Any plans to order anything for the Memorial Day Vinegar Syndrome sale, RJ? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> he, sure, he, all he, that he, porn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wasn't really planning to, but now that I've opened this box up, I guess I'll see what new slip covers for older releases they announced, as well as the mystery titles. I'll likely order a chunk again. Always do. Keep it up, guys. And then uh, Google gives me an option of responding with, will do. Very cool. Congratulations. What do you think the congr- congratulations is in in uh, reply to? I don't know. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I think Sam did a great job. I guess because he, people... he got a package. In the oh, mail? I guess. Congratulations! Yeah. Very I'm cool. The package. Great job. Good to hear. <laughs> See you later. Um, yeah, I thought he did a great job. A lot of people were really upset. They said it was one of the worst episodes ever. But uh, frankly, I thought it was great. So I don't. I don't know about you, Jared. Um, well, I don't know who these people are. Just people that I know and. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I think he did a great job. So uh, I hope uh, he, when we left, he said he wasn't sure if he was going to listen to it or not. And uh, I wonder if he did. What do you think? I, I mean, I wouldn't listen to it. We don't if listen it was to me, ours. I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I edit it and I don't even listen. Well, what do you mean? You mean I edit it? And oh, you, shh, shut. Remember, shh. remember the arrangement. Oh, right, right. The silent partner. That's right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> With heads. With what? Heads and aquariums. Uh, yeah, that's a cool part in uh, that's, Silent that's, Part. That's fun. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Puppet Master, shall I continue on? I mean, if you must. Shall we listen to what Sam Solano has to write? I'd love to. I'd love to. The SS is back. The SS is back. Uh-huh. Frank writes, hey there, chaps. Hope you boys are having yourselves a fancy evening, however that may apply. How, how's that working out over there? What's she, what's she drinking there, Puppet Master? Uh, this is Plain Jane Pabst Blue Ribbon, okay. the certified beer of Dennis Hooper and uh, Dennis Hopper even, some would say, and uh, Mr. David Lynch, uh, a little Pabst Blue Ribbon. It's uh, he, He's got a taste for living. He's drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon. He's got Pabst Blue Ribbon on the mind. You know what I mean, Jer? So this week, I only listened to one oh. past episode of the Oof. pod, A Night right. to Remember, partially because I was busy, but also to complete a perfect 10 re-listens instead of just nine. Mm. Though there wasn't any particular standout moment in the episode, I <laughs> dare say it's the first where it feels that you guys are in total control of the craft, 
even if Jared had to do a post-episode recording to clarify a misconnection to a previous film. Ooh, look at that attention to detail. Man, I don't I, – yeah, I probably remember doing things like that. Uh, I remember you did it once or twice and uh, – yeah. But, uh, I mean, then we did it for four years, and uh, mm-hmm. now we're uh, dead inside. Yeah, I think I remember, like, there's probably some occasion where uh, I said the wrong number, and uh, that really bugged me at the beginning. So mm-hmm. I, I actually re-edited myself, like, recording me saying the proper number. Uh, yeah. No, you're playing I, with history. Now I don't care. You're all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can say whatever you want, whether it's accurate or not. Nobody the... will call us on it. <laughs> right? And it's interesting to hear Jert bring out the notes, you know, back in the day when you both cared. Hey, look at that. Yeah, yeah. See, we tried once. Oh, yeah, you could I could hear it, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, paperwork. Uh, yeah, business. We've adapted. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason I was busy this week, aside from watching and rewatching a few movies off of a list of 100, is because I started watching the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, which ran two seasons Ah. before being canceled. The reason for the cancellation was because of the rights reverting to Marvel after the company was bought by Disney back in 2009. And it sucks, because as far as all fans of Spider-Man are concerned, this show that was meant for kids is actually one of the best and most faithful representations of the webhead. The way that the characters are portrayed and the few changes made to the villain origins actually work so well in service of the story. I remember watching the show a while as a kid, but I never really checked it out uh, again since then. And man, that was a mistake. This show is essentially Marvel's equivalent to Batman the Animated Series and the Justice League cartoons. It's actually that great, and I'm sure if RJ checks it out, he'll find some stuff to nerd out about. I know you're on a Star Trek kick right now, but considering Mm -hmm. the show is so short, I'm sure you can sit back uh, to an episode or two a day. It's a must-watch. No, uh, I have. Ne- I don't even remember this show. Can I? Uh, can I tell you something, Jared? That might blow your and uh, Sam Solano's minds. What's that? I've seen the spectacular Spider-Man more than once, and uh, I can confirm it is great. Uh, I watched it like I don't know five or six years ago, um, and I thought all the same stuff that uh, Frank just said. It was a, it was a great telling of the stories. They changed a few things, and the things that they did change actually worked better and then after two seasons there's all the this build up and these like continuing threads and you want it to keep going and then it uh, got canceled and it's a it's a real shitter man but uh it, it's great it's real good hmm. real good did they ever um oh i see that they actually did a show called ultimate spider-man afterwards yeah it got replaced with uh because like the tv rights went to bigger disney and then they're like oh let's throw like all the avengers in there because that's what everyone else wants or what everyone wants right yeah because at that point too they're like well we can't do it in the movie so we'll do it on the tv show um no yeah spectacular uh spider-man is uh it's real good i liked it when i watched it hmm. yeah i it was just a i don't know I, I, I guess I don't really pay attention to a lot of the superhero cartoons, mm-hmm. which goes along with my not paying attention to most superhero things yeah. other than the comic books. But yeah. well, there's there's a lot now too that I think are super forgettable and easy to miss. But uh, that was a good one. Okay. So uh, I will not be rewatching it, and I will be continuing with Star Trek. 
Speaking of sci-fi films, last week mm. I teased a new game involving alternate movie premises. Mm. It's still a work in progress as I try to figure out the guidelines and a way to keep it from dragging the episode down. So if I don't have it uh, ready by next week, I'll probably scrap it. Anyways, the spark for that idea came to me while I was coming up with a better premise for Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Remember that, mm-hmm. remember that movie, RJ? Yeah, I remember that big piece of shit that we saw in theater. <laughs> Remember that when that guy like walked into that pile of popcorn? <laughs> I do. He knocked over those people's corn and then he walked over every single kernel and he's like, oops, sorry. That, that, that's what all I remember. And also laughing whenever uh, Billy D. Williams shows up. He goes, he was very happy. Well, I mean, it, his first movie he's been in in a while, right? Uh, pop, maybe. As we all know, there are many issues with the making of the film and what everyone got, including the fans, was pretty Mm -hmm. much a mediocre film with too many plot holes and coincidences. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to my brother and I came up with an alternate premise. Here it is. After the all-timely death of Supreme Leader Snoke, Kylo Ren finds himself in a power struggle against General Hux. Remember Mm -hmm. General Hux? For control of the First Order. Though Kylo has the Knights of Ren as enforcers, General Hux is the support of the military leaders who have deemed Kylo too unstable and unfit to rule. Well, oh my goodness. While the mm. First Order is preoccupied with restructuring its leadership, the Rebellion escapes and regroups. Rey continues her training using the Jedi scriptures and the help of Luke's Force Ghost <laughs> in order to defeat Kylo Ren. First of all, there's a real, like, there's not enough talk about Wayfinder devices. Right. Yeah, that's a, any good Fa- movie would have that. That's a fatal flaw, not having Wayfinder devices. Mm-hmm. Who is like so? Uh, in order to defeat Kylo Ren, who is slowly unraveling into madness. Huh? Meanwhile, Poe, Finn, and Leia lead the rebellion in trying to rally the galaxy against the First Order in its weakened state. Potentially, the story wouldn't have gone down the Kylo's redemption path, and it would have fit in with the natural progression of the series. Of course, we do have the benefit of hindsight on how things turned out, so it might be unfair. But I do feel that the Last Jedi left that gap open for a sort of power vacuum scenario. You know, mm. um, is, is there a question? <laughs> nope okay thoughts on thoughts on star wars i mean i think anything would have been better than what we got than that Fredo and ray movie that they put out um but you know what you know what i think would even alternatively be a better story for that movie jared hmm. what if they all got scurvy space scurvy space scurvy and then that was it and like it, it just moved on to other people they're like oh they're all sick Let's watch uh, this guy. And it'd just be a guy, like a juggler, and he was like, boop, 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 boop. I think what might have improved is like doing like a whole movie where they go back to like uh, Chewbacca's home planet, Kashik, and like you just like uh-huh. hang up. But it turns out it's also Christmas. Oh, that would you meet his extended family or if not extended, immediate family? Exactly. That's a pretty good idea. I wonder why they've never done anything like that before. Finally, I'm glad to hear that we've had a resurgence in food-related questions. So Mm. here's mine for the week. Mm. If you could eat any food in its country of origin, what food would you choose? Buffalo chicken wings in America. In America? No, that's a bad answer. What's your answer, though? I would like to – I just saw this thing pop up recently, a Russian honey cake. What's in it? Honey and cake mayo it's like nine layers of cake it's like it's like it's gen- essentially it's like they take they make a bunch of pancakes and then they mm-hmm. make like a like a honey frosting thing in between and they stack it all up real nice 
shave you it can up. make that at home. Well, I, I could no. but, but I, it's, it's a lot of work <laughs> like it's like you'll you make like nine pancakes and then make a cake it's like why not so I, i'd rather just go to russia where they probably make these like by the by constantly you just walk and go mm-hmm. hey there's one and just have it and be like is that any good maybe not you know what i would like that's a good point. I think you should make it. You got the time. What's holding you back? There is that possibility, but sometimes there's got to be a, a benefit analysis of the type of food that you're spending all this time putting into. It better be fucking good because I've had some you, disappointments. You know what would be a benefit is you could give me some. Or not. Or you or you could. Alternatively. Uh, I think you should do it. And if you don't do it, everyone will think that you're weak. Um, I would like one of those Japanese pancakes. Those are like really like in Japan though. Yeah. Like, you know, those ones that are always on those like very satisfying videos where it's like really fluffy and jiggles and stuff. No, not the savory one. Oh, those like really fluffy, like jiggly ones or, uh, undercooked kind of. Yeah. And they, they do the same with like cheesecakes too. They're like undercooked, like and jiggly and stuff. That stuff looks good. I've had one of those savory pancakes and I didn't much care for it. The, the the cabbage pancakes? Yeah, I had like shrimp in it and shit and I was like, uh, and cheese. And I was like, I'm not into this. Oh, right. Because you don't like things like mushrooms. Uh, nobody should like mushrooms. It's a, a dirty fungus that grows out of shit. Yeah. Gross. And if you could try any unfamiliar cuisine in its proper country, which would it be? Not mushrooms, I'll tell you that much. I don't know, maybe something Danish. <laughs> right? Since eating at a Greek restaurant at a mall where I was Ooh. served obviously microwaved moussaka, a horrible experience. I've wanted to try authentic Greek food in its natural environment. Ah, so he wants to go eat some grape leaves and uh, some feta over in a big Greek. Yeah, maybe on the island of Crete. Sure. He can avoid, sure. He can avoid the minotaur. Well, that goes hand in hand, Jared. Yeah. You know, what's a weird thing that you would like to eat? Try. Hmm. That I haven't already. That's so tough because you know, sometimes you don't th- know if you don't know it exists. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tough to go out of your way for it. Um, you know what I've always been per- actually speaking of Greek food. You know what I'm really unimpressed with? Mm-hmm. Lamb. Uh, yeah, I'm also not a big lamb guy, but, uh, like Eastern Canada are big lamb people. And, uh, for certain like cuisines, it's a staple, I guess the Hmm. same that beef would be here and, uh, they like it a lot. I don't know. I'm not too into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like out of principle. Uh, There was a recipe I saw pop up. It was, uh, like, uh, braised venison on a, uh, Hmm. like a plate of, pumpkin risotto seems a little fancy for me it's, have you ever have you ever made risotto yep it's not yep. it's not it's not that d- difficult it just takes a little bit of time no just this pumpkin talk. yeah well it's just there's some and even puree. venison it's just it's just deer meat right yeah well yeah i know but i find venison is like something people try Wait. have been trying to make fancy a little hoity yeah but it like I don't know. Anytime I've ever had it, it really like sticks with me. Like the next day you can just like taste it still. And you're like, Oh, you're like, I'm gross. It's that wild gamey flavor that people are crazy about. Right. That's why they listen to this podcast. It's the wild gaminess of a uh, podcast. Yeah. You, you, you just want to be like, man, I just want the smell of like campfire and uh, maybe I've got worms. 
maybe you got worms. That's a good point, Jared. Yeah. Maybe you got worms. Hey, I read the troop like a, week, a couple oh, weeks ago. And? It's got worms in it. Yeah, killer monstery worms. Have, have you read that book or have I, you, I, you just I, own it? I own it. That's, that's, that's um, the same difference, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's all right. Um, it, it wasn't uh, – I thought it would be different. It was more like – the way it's described as Lord of the Flies, and that's kind of how it is. But I was—I th- I don't know why I was hoping for something a little bit different. But it's got huge worms that explode out of people's bodies, so that's gross. Not bad. Yep. Not bad. I, yep. I, I think like the highlight of that. I remember from I think what sold me on it was like its vivid descriptions. It's, it's got some yeah. good uh, uh, descriptions of sound and slurping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got it's got good stuff like that, and like uh, it's it, it's a cool idea. Like the worms on the island with the kids and everyone gets real hungry and they eat a lot. And uh, it's Canadian. Takes place in Canada even. So uh, that's pretty cool. It's not bad. It's just, uh, I don't know, for some reason I, I was like, I was like, I thought it was going to be different. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Finally, oh. from Peter Justinson. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, continue. Uh, I'm just going to push it all the way. Sure. Sure. Go for it. Justin writes, hey, Jerry and RJ, what's happening? I wanted to start off by saying how much I enjoyed last week's show with Sam Sanchez. You guys mm. had great chemistry together, and I look forward to his next guest hosting appearance. Uh, Me too. Uh, that might never happen. I mean, Sam didn't allude to anything that I know of. Is there no other film noirs coming up? What about um, Fat Girl? Is that not a film noir? It's, is that in his top ten? It could be. I don't know. I'm not, I haven't seen it lately. So, What about Veridiana by Louis Bunuel? Here is a fun Criterion game I okay. found online. Pair a Criterion movie up with each of the seven deadly sins. Okay, this was this was online or apparently. Okay. Uh, here are my answers: Lust, blue is the warmest color. Gluttony, eating Raoul. Greed, oh, okay. it's a mad, 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 mad world. Sloth, <laughs> Sid and Nancy. Ugh. <laughs> Uh-huh. Wrath, Antichrist, Envy, Breaking the Waves, Pride, Ran. Hmm. Do you agree with all those? Um, I haven't seen one. I'm actually, I guess the only movie I haven't seen is Blue's the Warmest Color. Out of uh, those all seven. those things? Yeah. Blue's like readily available I, on I, like. I've never seen it's a mad, 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 mad world, I guess. You've never seen it, you guess? I guess. I don't think I have. Like, I've seen bits and pieces, and it seems like there was okay. a lot of movies that kind of like ripped it off, and it feels yeah. like I might have seen it. I've seen Rat Race. That's the I, same I, difference, I, right? I was going to say, yeah. And plus, I bet Rat Race is a way better movie, because like, it's a mad, mad world have Seth Green in it. Or Mr. Bean. Or Mr. Bean. Yeah, Mr. Bean. So uh, I think you're in the right there, right side of history at least. I finally got around to seeing me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And wow, did it have a ton of movie references, with mm-hmm. most of them being Criterions. Do you guys mm-hmm. like this teen terminal illness drama geared toward movie nuts like us? Also, with that many advertisements for Criterion in the movie, uh, do you think it should be added into the collection? Have you seen this movie? I have, and I talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, actually. I thought I thought that when I saw him blog this recently, I was like, is that the movie mm-hmm. RJ was talking about? I don't remember how long ago, but at least a year, at the very least, maybe two years ago. You think that, okay. Wow. It didn't seem um, like, yeah, because I saw that. I knew it was familiar, but I have not yeah. seen this. It's uh, it's good. It's one of those um, 
it's one of those like uh perks of being a wallflower fault in your stars kind of like teen movies like boys and girls and i think one of them is dying or something like that uh it's really good actually um and it has a ton of a it's like these two two buds uh these two chuckleheads jared and they go and they remake movies uh like movies that they like and a lot of them are like Aguirre Wrath of God and other Werner Herzog movies or uh just like Criterion movies um and it's kind of like do you remember Be Kind Rewind yes it's kind of like that but uh with kids and more charming I guess I don't know um it's pretty good I do not think it should be in the collection because I feel like it's a little too on the nose for that, uh, for the Criterion references. But as a movie itself, it's like it is a pretty good show. So RJ, you yeah. watched and rated me and Earl and the Dying Girl, July fourteenth, twenty fifteen. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, five years ago. So that yeah. that predates the podcast. <laughs> I think I've talked. Unless about you've it talked before. about it, yeah. It, it must have come up like I don't know. Maybe there is either a movie we watched yeah. where it had like they were doing things like me and Earl in the, I, I don't know maybe I just told you about it in real life maybe who knows it's a good show though I you could maybe check it out I don't know it's not wouldn't be the first thing I recommended to you but mm-hmm. you know what are you going to do what are you going to do uh, Justin continues with his goat movie question of the week mm-hmm. what are the best films from the 1960s uh, all of them all of them. <laughs> Is that a uh, good way to put it? Here, I got to go to yeah, I know. decade Let's look up. 60s. Sort by my rating first. Okay, here is the definitive list. Um, High and Low, The Apartment, Lawrence of Arabia, Planet of the Apes, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, The Devil Rides Out, The Innocent, Night of the Living Dead, 2001 Space Odyssey, Show Rod, The Wild Bunch. What do you think about that, Jarrett? Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm pulling up the 60s in total. Um, 2001 is pretty tough to beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like for, like, I think the, for the, if you want to call this the greatest of all time of the 60s, that would probably, got it's got to be it. But, what, what about Help from the Beatles? Is that not the greatest? That's the opposite of great. Best? Tremendous? Yeah, most bestest? Tremendous. Bestest? Um, Double suicide? Yeah, it's a good. It's, I mean, that's like that's. I mean, for some, that's like the decade that feels the like where uh, contemporary cinema really starts to take its take hold. Mm. Because of things like uh, Lolita and Doctor No. Doctor No. What about Doctor Terror's House of Horrors? Was that a decade defining? Oh, look at that a movie we're watching next week. Doctor Terror's House of Horrors. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember that getting in the collection, but all right, they sure. Snuck it right past you. Sure, I'm, I'm down. It's got, uh, it's from who? Freddie Fox or Freddie Francis? Do you remember that thing in that, like, in those old movies where it's like Fred Fox? It's F U C H S. Mm-hmm. Fuchs. Fred Fuchs. I thought that was this one, but no. And finally, a little game of which one uh, you would you rather watch? You can't say neither. Okay, this, okay. this is not too tough. Okay, first up. Die Hard or Die Hard 3? Die Hard 3. Uh, same, because I haven't seen Die Hard 3, like, forever. Yeah, and uh, it's not constantly referenced all the time from popular culture, so I'd probably be more on board with that. Clockwork Orange or Full Metal Jacket? 
I don't know, man. Depends on the day. I, this current day, I'd probably watch Clockwork Orange. I think that would be my choice every day. I, you know, I, I've only seen Full Metal Jacket, I think, once in its entirety. I think me too. I've only, I, I watched that first half a lot, but I mm-hmm. never get to the second half. But I should probably uh, get around to re- doing an actual rewatch of that movie. You you could throw it on when you make honey cake. Ooh. Sid and Nancy or Salo, RJ? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Salo. No. Salo it is. Cause that, cause that move, cause if we get that number of uh, backers on the on the <laughs> Patreon, which you been, will be I, watching Salo. That's been undisclosed though, so that could be fifteen thousand oh, Patreons I'll, that we need. I'll, I'll let you know. Believe me, I'll let you. Yeah, know. I mean, you can say things, but uh, I'm not allowed to leave my house, so um, it's too bad, I guess. Maybe that'll be how we celebrate uh, reopening the economy. Well, what's a movie that you would watch? Are those two? No, in uh, general, to make you uncomfortable. I don't know something really, really bad. Space Jam. Oof! I would watch it. That'd be fine. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's a fair trade on uh, my you know end. What? I'll find something bad. You know why? Because I've never seen it. But, yeah, I know. I'll find something bad for you to watch that I think you'll you'll not enjoy. These are Kill List or a Field in England. I don't even know what a Field in England is. Same director, but you don't need to watch it. Okay, you, so kill I, list. You, I don't know. I don't, can't imagine you being a fan of a field in England at all. Is it like the Onion Field? Passion of Joan of Arc or huh. the General? Don't even know what the General is. Buster Keaton, but that movie is not as good as Passion of Joan of Arc. Surprisingly, yeah. Mean Streets or the Irishman? I haven't even watched the Irishman yet. <laughs> mean Streets. Mean Streets. Seven Samurai or Rashomon? Rashomon, because it's like half the length. Yeah, yeah. Seven Samurai is better, I think, but Rashomon, maybe. Riding the Bullet or Sleepwalkers? No. (laughs) Nope. Uh, I'd watch Sleepwalkers instead. Cause... Yeah, because you kind of like that movie somehow. No, I didn't really like it. I, I mean, it's got some cool, like, goofy makeup and stuff, and it's stupid. But Running the Bull is just, yeah. like, unbelievably bad. Uh, yeah. JFK or Platoon? JFK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Heaven's Gate or Lonesome Dove? <laughs> Are you a fan of these, RJ? <laughs> okay. I've never seen this either is, this, of those. This, these are my Westerners. Um, uh-huh. I watch Heaven's Gate again, I think, over Lonesome Dove. Because I've only seen that movie once, and when I watched it, it blew my dick off. Is that not a future creep? It is. Yeah, so we'll have to eventually. We'll see how it holds up. I just remember watching it, going in, thinking this is supposed to be one of the worst movies ever made, and it's anything but. Well, it sounds Ooh, good to me. Dawn of the Dead or Night of the Living Dead? Would Dawn of the Dead the Zack Snyder one? <laughs> I'm assuming not. Oh, that's the one I'd pick. Uh. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll be going with uh, 1978 Dawn of the Dead, please. Okay. Okay. Chasing Amy or Hollow Man? <laughs> Fuck. Oh. oh. Hollow Man, maybe. Fuck. I haven't seen that in like 15 plus years, so I'd go oh, back to that. Man, yeah, I'd watch Hollow Man before I'd watch Chasing Amy again. Woo! Yeah. See, like I don't I don't actually think Chasing Amy is that bad, but I just haven't seen Hollow Man in a long time. Yeah, I I never ever need to see Chasing Amy ever again. I, I'd, I'd I'd suffer through Hollow Man once more. What about when it's got, I, some, it's got some elements that are not bad, but oh, it's 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 horrible. But it's got little things, tiny little things. What about when Chasing Amy two gets added to the collection and you have to watch it? 
Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind or Spirited Away? Those are both good shows. Either way, you win. Nausicaa, I think. Thanks for the time, guys, and have a great show. We'll do. Well, thanks to all of our friends out there who are uh, contributing to the mailbag. Exactly. Right? right. Exactly. Thank you all. Right, Jer. Y'all. Hey, RJ. Huh? What, what? You been, what you been creeping on this week? I watched some stuff. What do you want to hear about? Uh, you finished up with that Star Trek, huh? Are you on to that TNG? Or uh, I, I noticed uh, you've, you've kind of uh, pumped the brakes a little bit. Uh, I started watching the movies. Yep. So so I I wasn't uh, I can talk about one and two if you want, or we can save that for. No. Go ahead. Start talking about them. About one and two. I want. I want to. I want to have some words with you with this the talk of oh, Star Trek the motion picture being dece. Yeah, it is dece. Uh, so here, okay. Uh, so I, I finished the show and I'm on the movies now. So I have to watch up to six. Yep. Uh, and then I can start TNG. Yep. Um, that's the the watch the viewing order that Oliver Granger sent me because after last week when he was talking about it, he uh, he sent me. He's like, "This is what I saw on Reddit." So it's TNG, and then actually you you got to do DS9 and Voyager before the TNG movies. Yes, yeah, is well, a, I mean, the correct way to do yeah, it. Yeah, there's kind of a there's a handoff of of a sorts between like because there I think there was a season where Next Generation and Deep Space Nine were both on mm-hmm. at least one season, and then yeah. and then it was this DS9. And people were like, "What's this all about? What's this Black Captain shit?" And Ooh. then uh, your Commander. A commander, because he's not a commander. Commander Cisco. Yeah, it's that's what my understanding is. DS9's first season was airing at the same time as uh, TNG's last, and then it was the same with like Voyager. I think DS9 and Voyager were on at the same time, and then DS9 finished, and Voyager kept going. Yep. Yeah, and then yeah, and then the TNG movies came out. It's 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 amazing to me that I guess there's a a timeline required. Because, I mean, if you look at yeah. the broadcast dates, it's pretty pretty easy to figure it out. Yeah. Well, allegedly, there is, like, mention to DS9 Voyager stuff in the TNG movies, and that's the only reason why you would watch those two shows before the movies. You know, allegedly. I, I owned the Star Trek chronology when I was a kid. Does that impress you? What does that mean? It was a book. Was it just talking about when to watch the episodes? It was like an entire history of the recorded Star Trek universe. Like oh, every, every reference they would it would it would put like, "Hey, this is when this happened." Like the beginning hmm. of time, it would say, "This is when such and such alien came into being." This is when the Q continuum came into being. Like it, it was uh it's thorough up until because I don't even think when that book came out, Deep Space Nine had come out yet. So, are you saying that you're the biggest nerd in the world, or just I'm, one? But I'm not. There's people who like mm. never gave up. They they never moved beyond. They they Interesting. that is the thing that they're into. Well, what about me? You're just a little burgeoning geek pedal. I don't eat well. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess uh, I, I I like coming at it uh, as a 30 year old a lot more than coming at it as a 13 year old because I think if I was watching these when I was 13, I probably would have been a, a weirdo weird little wiener you know what i mean mm-hmm. so anyways uh so i watched one and two uh and yeah i think star trek the motion picture is pretty decent jared i noticed you didn't go ahead and uh, give my review a like here is that uh is it because you agreed too much with my review or what well, the next thing i'll say is did you actually read my review or did yes. you just read that line and then you said nah i'm out of here I, I, read, I read the whole thing 
Okay. So here, here's here's my take on this. Be- because it's like the TV show. <laughs> because it's, yeah. It, it's a success. Uh, I actually, okay, here, here's my, here's my spiel on it. It, it's advertised as this movie version of a TV show. And I think that is exactly what it is. It's Star Trek, the motion picture. It's just like an episode of of the original series. And it's like, I remember you've always said, you're like, it's long and boring. And it is. Well, no, what did did you read my review? Uh, it's about, uh, yeah, I remember it. Something about no agency. Yes. But no, see, because I said, like, people always complain the movie is long and boring. And to which mm-hmm. I say, I have seen longer and boringer movies. But the problem mm-hmm. is that you just are watching the characters look out of the cap, out of the window, out of gotcha. the screen. And they're just watching mm-hmm. things happen. And you see them going into vaginas over and over and over again. <laughs> as they're like, these uh-huh. sphincters open up and there's these, like, things that pull apart. And it's just a big light show. And the ship just keeps going deeper and deeper. And there's nothing they can do about it. Except yeah. for, like, huh, here we go. It's just like the whatever it is like. Is it the first or second episode of Star Trek that's like that? Or like, and they all they do is like. There's, there's a few like that. There's no. They don't do anything. They're just like along for the ride. And then oh hey, we got you to Viger, and <laughs> then that's it. And then you get pooped out, and it's like what a great adventure that was. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think this says. I think all the references to sexual imagery says more about you than it does about the movie oh. and about where your mind kind of tends to go towards. Yeah, there are know. a lot of openings and closings of things. This, so I'll this, give tiny, you that. this little, like this little semen like ship floating through this thing as it's going through Ooh. openings deeper and deeper into it. I thought that would appeal to your um, sexual imagery uh, as uh, I've read some of your comics and uh, are, I think it's on, are, on Mark. Are you upset by like the radical transformation of uh, Bill Shatner though? Like, oh my God. <laughs> he like it's, it is like, it's a switch. Like as soon as the movies start, he is like amped up completely. Like he's not like that in the show that much. His hair. His hair, his like, even just the way he presents stuff. Uh, I mentioned in my review, and even Corpse mentioned that he knew exactly what I was talking about. There's a scene in here where he's just like, Spock. <laughs> and he, like, it just cuts to him, and that's all. He's just like, Spock. He's, it's, it's the craziest shit you'll ever see. It's amazing. It's so funny. It's, it's really close to one hour. Um, <laughs> if you own this, go check it out, Jerry. Oh, I, I, so I, I, I have all six on Blu ray. I, 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 you know what? I, I got these fucking movies. You know what I got, Jared? Check that, this is, out. Is that a flash drive? No, check this out. Uh, Star Trek Stardate Collection: Ten Original Movies with Additional Content. Nice. Did, did so you, I'm. Did you uh, wait to get those? Is, is, was that yeah. the up? Nice. Yeah. Well, I, I had to because like um, I thought I was going to have to. I was preparing to dig mine out to lend you. Um, well, because when, when you started talking about like Klingons. Yeah, and so it actually they weren't. Uh, they didn't have subtitles in that first one. Um, it's one of those things yeah. like it shows what they're saying afterwards. So right. it's like you're not supposed to know. Yeah, I kind of but, forgot that there actually is Klingons in the first movie even. Yeah, it's uh, just for a second. It's like the opening too. So uh, but like I um, I had them all digitally, but they were kind of like the files were like all broken and I had to like convert them all. And I was like, man. And I saw that the Blu-ray collection of all 10 on Amazon was like 40 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I was like, I don't buy anything, but I was like, I'm doing this now. So I might as well. So I got that. Go. What were, what were you talking about? Uh, Shatner. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I, I see what you mean with, uh, your stuff, but, uh, I think maybe it's cause I've always heard you say that you thought this movie was like kind of boring and they don't do anything. 
So I went in with low expectations and I was like, I don't know. It's got the, it's got some of the vintage Star Trek things that I think they do. Like, I think the biggest thing is they do stretch it out a lot where it's like when Kirk is coming to the enterprise, you see it like from all around for like five minutes. And it, it is real long <laughs> with, with the music. Yeah. That, that it, Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> it, that, that goes on forever. And there's a lot of things like that, that they really stretch out, oh, but um, there's something that, that, that doesn't stop though. I don't think. Oh like, no, no. That's the, the whole movie. <laughs> it's two twelve. This movie. I know. And it's just like, yeah, cause there's all these shots, these longing shots of the uh-huh. ship and the music just blaring and feeding it to you. And you're like, look, look at that ship. Look yeah. at that ship. And then, uh, cause then, uh, oh yeah, it, <laughs> It was like they were like so proud that they could finally show it. And I think that's what this movie is more than anything. It's like things that old nerd ass Gene Roddenberry and whoever he was working with as a producer where he was like, you know what? I've always wanted this scene that we've done before, but to be 10 minutes long. And and they're like, "Okay, sure. And then they did it. Uh, And sometimes like when they show the ship, it's too much. But uh, there's other times I think it's fine. It's about the, the majesty. (laughs) <laughs> look at its majesty uh, i do like like so they do stretch out like things like the warping uh which i thought was cool because it's like yeah this is some where the warping it gets like affected because kirk doesn't know the ship anymore and they go on a wormhole and then there's an asteroid and i was like that's pretty cool and i was hey, like uh did you uh see that uh the president of the united states is wants to fast track uh the uh, uh oh god i'm blanking out on my words um a vaccine and he's he's titled the project uh, it's like operation warp drive warp drive yeah or warp warp speed warp speed warp speed yeah do you think uh roddenberry's family owns the rights to that or is that just or or i guess it'd be it'd be paramount i guess paramount i think they should look into that if anything yeah. Uh, Look at no. this headline. Trump administration launches Operation Warp Speed to accelerate vaccine mm-hmm. development. Do you think that they there's a thought that like if you name it something fast, it'll just go quicker? Well, or well, do, do you think like maybe naming your uh, project after a fictional piece of like science fiction is a good thing when you need like real science to save people's lives? I think both are probably good things. Probably. It might mean here's my 10 point reasons why I think that. No, uh that's pretty silly, Jared. But I did like the warping in this movie because mm-hmm. I thought it was like – I was like, that's some classic Star Trek stuff right there, baby. Um, one other thing I thought was really funny is uh, Bones has absolutely nothing to do in this movie to the point where like he has three scenes in a row where McCoy just walks onto the bridge. He walks it around. He doesn't say anything and then he walks back out. And uh, after it happened, when it happened once, I laughed and then it happened again. And I was like, what are they doing with him? And then it happened again. And I was just like, what is happening? And I was like, he, they, they were that out of things for because he doesn't usually have that much to do other than like kind of put his glowy stick over people. Until and someone gets hurt. Until somebody gets hurt. Uh, yeah. So you have that. And then so the one thing, too, is I think there is a little bit of agency that they have uh, in their actions because they do kind of. They hold up uh, V'ger a little bit, and then it's uh, you get the bald girl. She gets taken over, and her emotions start to affect V'ger, which doesn't have anything to do with Kirk or Spock. But then when they get Decker in there, their like creation of the being is the only thing that can stop it. So it's like, if anything, they were there to get those other two people to get absorbed into V'ger so that uh, it would stop destroying stuff. I guess. 
is my best way to try to rationalize this thing. Mm-hmm. That needs no rationalization, I think, because it's a 40-year-old movie and who gives a shit? Yeah, 79. That's the other thing, too, is like <laughs> when I watched this, like my first rewatch, I think, ever um, mm-hmm. was 2016. At that time, I was watching so many, like... 70s movies and like these right. big movies and it's just like fuck this movie like nothing who cares like after this point mm-hmm. you've had like all these like if you had star wars come out like two years right. earlier and it's like oh this movie completely changed everything and you watch this and you're just like they just stand around on the deck and they talk about yeah. looking at things and you're like this is terrible and it's just like it's a yeah. showcase for special effects and mm-hmm. i'm like well that's not very good and then especially because you know what's coming next when it starts getting back to some uh, ass-kicking, swashbuckling times. Yeah. yeah, well, all I'm saying is I actually, going into it, th- expecting, like, a real dull piece of shit, I was like, I was like, I don't know, this isn't bad. I think if you ever, which you never will, but if you ever rewatched all the original series and then animated series yeah. and then went into this, I bet you'd have a, you'd maybe not dislike it how, as much. How, how was the animated series? Uh, it was okay. Uh, the, one, the one cool thing was that it had... Um, uh, they really beefed up the aliens that they could do because it was sure. drawn, right? There's, so there's no, there's no budget. <laughs> there's no budget, and uh, like it's immediately there. So every everyone's either like a cat or a lizard of some sort. Um, and I was like, that's cool. So I uh, and it flies by. They're all like 20, 20 minutes, and there's only um, I think there's only twenty or twenty one episodes or something like that. So you uh, you rip through it pretty fast. And I was like, cool, cool. But yeah, I don't know. And then you Just watched go- Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, I think now that I have a better appreciation for Trek in general and Rathacon, um, Into Darkness is a real big turd, isn't it? I'll, I'll get there in like five years, but uh, yeah, that movie sucks. You know what movie doesn't suck, Jarrett? Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan. Oh my god, this movie is so satisfying, like on every level, because it's all the cool shit that you wanted in... Uh, Star Trek original series, like ships fighting each other, dudes fighting each other, sexy, like Latino men, Ricardo Montalbom doing his thing, like in his whatever his, he's doing. His chest. His chest is just on full uh, full display. Um, I should take this for hot abs. Yeah, 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 hot abs. Uh, yeah, Rathacon is like, it's so good, dude, which I know you already know. Yeah. But um, it, it I think it's, it's extremely satisfying because it is a lot of the stuff that I think you want to have happen in the show, but like you understand why they can't. You're like, well, they don't really have the budget for this or that. And it does like it satisfies a lot of story things like not even I think you could watch it without even seeing the episode that Khan is in and just go because that's when I first watched it. I didn't watch the old episodes and I was like, yeah, that's still just a really good movie. Um but uh, knowing the characters a little bit better from watching the TV show, then you're just like, yeah, I like how they're getting old. And uh, you're just like, oh, I'm Kirk needs glasses. What a loser. Um, and then it's got a pretty good emotional ending. Jer. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, man. Pretty good. So uh, it's got it's got it all. I, I don't even know uh, how else to describe it. But you know what? There's a lot of shit movies in the Criterion Collection. But you know what should be in the Criterion Collection? Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Hell, I think hells yeah. So uh, yeah, Rathcon is. I mean, if, wicked. if if you have like five Bruce Lee movies in there, I'm pretty mm. sure there's room for uh, uh, Star Trek. Oh, actually, all six, all six. You could get all the original. Six? Yeah, why not? Why the fuck yep. not? You got all sixteen of the first Godzilla movies. Um, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. There's your gateway. Yeah. Throw throw them all in, man. Uh, yeah, the um, I don't know. There's nothing uh, specific about it. I just it, it's just a real good show. Yeah, real good show, man. So I'm I'm excited to continue because I've actually, other than probably bits and bobs, I don't think I've ever seen the other from the three to six like okay. in entirety. Well, I imagine your reactions to them will be. Typical, because there's not a lot of deviation on mm-hmm. the takes. Most people go, three is a huge step down for two. Four yeah. is the the fun one. Uh, five is the Shatner one. And six is the return of Nicholas Meyer. Yeah. Well, and, and see, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm looking forward to all of them. But the other thing that's cool about Rathcon is the balls on this movie. Like, I know they retconned it in three but uh, killing off uh, that major character who I won't reveal, Jarrett, as a spoiler. What, you mean Spock? Oh, Jarrett. Uh, I, like, watching it, I was like, shit, man. I was like, this would have been pretty ed- – if if you and me were went to the theater opening night in 1982 and we saw Spock get, like, just melted by nuclear radiation, I would have I shit my pants. I would have been like, holy fuck. They killed him. Killed him dead. Hey, you know what uh, – Nicholas Meyer, who directed Wrath of Khan and Star Trek mm-hmm. Six, you know what he also wrote? Airheads? The Prince of Egypt. <gasps> See? He know he knows his desert warfare, let me tell you. He did have right. a co writer, one Philip Lezebnik. Don't know who that is, who but also uh... wrote uh Mulan and Pocahontas. He's he's got a uh, he's got a kink for sure. Yeah, that animation kink. Animation kink. Am I right? Oh, Nicholas Meyer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Rathcon and, is and, wicked good. Yeah, and Invasion of the B-Girls. B-Girls? Like uh, how we talked about B-Girls last week? Yeah, just like that, actually. No. Weird. Oh, like, like actual B. Yeah, as in oh. they're, they're B-alien women. I'd like to see the other one. Other other film more oh that reminds me there's uh the movie he also wrote the screenplay for the seven percent solution which is about uh sherlock holmes i believe going Hmm. through uh uh kicking some habits what kind of habits like opium i believe so i think there's something about that hmm interesting interesting i like or or, or i think maybe it's in theory actually i see sam chess uh sam sanchez mentions cocaine oh there you go who would have known? I always thought uh, and Alan Ar- was and like Alan, an opium Alan, thing. Alan Arkin is Sigmund Freud. Alan Arkin? Yeah. What about Alan Alda? Robert Duvall as Watson. Was he really young, do you think? Is Robert Duvall in any oh, Star Trek and, films? And guess who plays Moriarty? Shelley Long? Sir Lawrence Olivier. Is that in the collection? Nope. Hmm. That, that, seems, like a, that seems like a Kino movie. Kino Morber? Yep. The Exploding Blu-rays? The Exploding Blu-rays. Wow. Who would have thought? Uh, so you watched Sudden Fury. Uh, I did watch Sudden, Theory, uh, Sudden Fury, and uh, it's quite good, Jarrett. I, I, I've heard. It's quite good. So uh, I, I think I'm probably the first one to say this, but it's kind of like a Canadian Alfred Hitchcock film. Uh, how very astute. Is what I would describe it as. Uh, so you know, it's uh, it's got the it's got the setup there. You know, a man at his ends, and uh, he tries to capitalize on an opportunity, but he gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar, and now a uh, a passing by good Samaritan. Now he has his his life in the crosshairs, and it's like, whoa, am I right, Jer? 
You sound like a professional film critic there almost with that talk about crosshairs. He's got his uh It's like you saw the poster. In the cro- is that what it talks about? No, literally the on the poster is a man in the crosshairs. Oh, is it? <laughs> I didn't even realize that, but whatever, I'm sticking with it. Um I'll say I'll act like I knew what I was doing. Um Yeah, Sudden Fury is really good. It's uh it's a taut little thriller, Jared. Mm-hmm. Taut. Uh I don't know. Uh, you've talked about it before, and I know uh, Actium Jackson Maximus, or was it Sam Sanchez who uh, brought this up before? Actually, I don't know if Sam Sanchez has watched that. So if you're, I'm pretty sure he has. It's one of those movies that uh, off air we were talking about how why do we keep buying these vinegar syndromes? And it's like, oh, this is actually one of the good ones. Yeah, because every once in a while you could get a sudden fury. Well, th- and this is a movie that had been on my radar. Uh, there's this one Canadian film historian named Paul Croup. Kor- Group. Um, and okay. he, he mentioned this movie offhand saying it's like a fantastic Canadian thriller. And I was like, mm-hmm. when the hell can I watch this? Like how? And then like it, it wasn't available in any way. And then finally, finally mm-hmm. one day it uh, appeared from vinegar syndrome and I was very pleased. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's real good. Like I want to, uh, I won't talk about like the movie that much, but uh, it's like in an hour and a half just under it uh keeps you entertained the whole time and it is it is actually like a really good little thriller where it's like what if what if this happened and it's it's very believable i don't think any of it's like out to lunch at all yeah who hasn't thought about that right jared i don't know sometimes when you and me are driving through the countryside i i get the a similar idea and then you watched another movie which one a a four-hour piece of cinema can i tell you something i didn't know that love exposure was four hours i'm pretty sure i told you uh on many occasion that is essentially like my comparison is it's like watching eight episodes of arrested development uh that that, that's like maybe because it's like basically five or sorry yeah it's eight half hour segments it's like like there's very clear chapters that demarcate Mm -hmm. it as it shifts uh emphasis uh, on each of these different characters. I think it would play better on like Netflix if it was broken up into half hours, like how they were wanted to break up uh, the hateful eight into four, one hour segments for easier consumption of viewers. Right. Uh, this one might be, so can you remind me, like I, I legitimately don't remember how, why was this recommended to me? Cause it's been brought up a couple times. Like, well, was I've, it... well, I've brought this up to you probably cause uh, this is a movie that I have uh, a lot of success with. It seems, uh, uh-huh. With lending it to people. Because I right. watched this, like, uh, whenever I watched this, several years ago with uh, Lawrence mm-hmm. and Corey. And we sat down and we watched the whole goddamn thing in one go. And yeah. we were like, huh, yeah, it's basically just watching, like, a like a binge-watching a show. And mm-hmm. uh, it was, like, it checked a lot of our boxes of just, like, ridiculous Japanese storytelling at times. It has these right. h- highs and lows. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good depiction, I guess, of, like, kind of a Japanese pop culture. There's, like, these references that I didn't even understand at the time to, like, female scorpion prisoner um, stuff mm-hmm. with the, the manner of dress that one character takes upon. Dealing with those, like, the strange, like, fascination of, like, uh, Japanese religion and catholicism and how that mm-hmm. how odd it is and then also the japanese affinity for cults it has right. all, all these things it's got this like guy pining and always like in the wrong spot and he winds up turning into this like 
uh, upskirt artist, and mm-hmm. it just it has everything. It has something for everyone. And I, I don't know. It seems like a lot of people that I recommend this to, uh, particularly men in their late twenties, all seem mm-hmm. to like really like. Man, I watched the movie twice. Like they like I'm like, huh? And, and and they talk about it afterwards. Like yeah, the movie still. I still think about it like a year later, and I'm like, huh? It's like yeah, I invited mm-hmm. all my friends over and we watched it, and then they they just like get into it. So I was, I was like, hmm, how will how will RJ take to this movie? Right. I, uh, I think someone else also recommended it, but, uh, I, I did see kind of like what you're saying, uh, talk of it being a cult film and would be a midnight film, like min- midnight mass film if it wasn't four hours or something like that. As I was just perusing, uh, the people that I follow on Letterboxd and, uh, many of their five to four and a half star reviews of uh, love exposure. Cause I was like, I wonder what other people think about this movie. I, for one, Jarrett did not much care for it. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I don't know what it is, dude. Uh, I don't think that there's anything like, I don't think there's anything bad about it, but, uh, it just, it did not, it did not appeal to me. Um, I think what it is, is like the first whole hour is the upskirt stuff. And I can see why, like, it's like funny, uh, and it's also like something people are genuinely interested in, I guess. Uh, but I can see like people here kind of like maybe thinking it's like a goofy, funny thing, and it's like, oh, look at that. But I've never actually like, as much as I like to talk about like butts and dumps and stuff like that, I don't actually find like that kind of humor stuff very funny. Where uh, um, I don't even know like like sexual humor, I guess is that what you would call it? I I don't know. Um, I've never actually found like that stuff super funny. So when I was watching this, like the whole first hour is kind of about that. And I was kind of, I was just watching it and I was giving it an honest go. And I was like, no, I'm not into this. And I think that's fine. Right. Sure. That's fine. It's okay not to be into things. So, uh, I see why I can see why other people probably really like it and like get more out of it. Uh, cause I think you're, so did you only watch the good. first hour or did you watch the whole thing? I watched the whole thing. Okay. I, I watched the whole thing. I, uh, I did give it, it's, uh, it's honest, uh, due time. Um, so I do think like the cult stuff and the church stuff is all like, I think they're all interesting ideas. And I, I think it, they each get enough time to kind of breathe and like play out between all the characters and things like that. But, uh, I don't know what it is. I just, um, for for whatever reason i was kind of like well i was like i don't really i'm not really on board with any of these storylines whether it's the upskirt stuff or the cult or the father or just the girls who are kind of like like live in life and get kind of swept up into it on their own for whatever reason uh but yeah i don't know i um wasn't really into it so uh oh yeah because it's also the yeah because yeah it's also sion sono director of suicide, suicide club, club and yeah a number of other uh, maximalist yeah. style movies but i am uh, i'm surprised at the amount the sheer amount of like five star reviews of this movie uh especially from people that i follow like tons of people with fives or just likes and things like that and uh i i can see why it uh, runs in the same circles but uh i don't know for whatever reason i was just like hmm not my bag, man. Maybe I'm too into Star Trek right now, <laughs> which is possible. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you can't win them all, but, uh, hey, at least I tried. Well, you really let down the love exposure uh, community down. I'm sure someone out there is probably going to be really pissed off that I didn't like it, but what are you going to do, man? They can't all be airheads. They all can't be airheads. You know what I mean? 
Do you want to you want to hear about any other movies or uh, do you have anything to talk about? Where, where do where do you want to go from here, Big Dog? Well, I guess I could talk about the one documentary I just was watching before sure. recording, and that is uh, Boiled Angels: The Trial of Mike Diana or Diana. I've never heard of this or whoever that person is. You probably wouldn't have. Um, it's kind of a niche topic in the world of underground comics. Mm -hmm. So this documentary was, I guess, made in 2018. It was kickstarted uh, mm -hmm. successfully. And it's been like one of those things that I was wanting to watch for a while. And it just like hadn't been available. And I just, it fell off my radar completely. But then right. suddenly in the last, I think, two weeks, it, it popped up on Amazon Prime, which is kind of like the best way for any documentary to be delivered uh, nowadays is make sure it's on a streaming platform because people will give it a whirl. Even like that uh, that new Michael Moore produced documentary, the one that's on YouTube, Planet of the Humans, people are just watching it because it's just free and it's just mm -hmm. out there and available. And I, I have people ask me, hey, have you watched this? Is, should I watch this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I've I, never heard of that either. Oh, really? You've you've missed all of that, man. Planet of the Humans. Yeah, it just like no one had heard of it until like a week ago, and now it's like okay. just constant like promotion about it. How Michael Moore has turned on the environmentalist movement, if he ever was mm. one. A lot of things like that gotcha. about the sort of the how some claims about green energy are not all they're uh, cracked up to be. Something along those lines. Okay, that's I, weird, but whatever. Yeah, so that's the thing. But uh, so Boiled Angels is very different. So it's kind of a, I guess you'd call it a true crime documentary. Um, just about the, the continued horrors of the American justice system. And when you uh, run afoul of it, how like vindictive and horrible it can be to its citizens. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, Mike, Mike uh, Deanna, he was a, or he is, a cartoonist young mm -hmm. young man um drawing his zines uh one particular mm -hmm. one called boiled angel uh back in like late 80s early 90s and so his stuff like you know the cartoonist johnny ryan i've probably sent you some of those uh, yeah. over the times so mm -hmm. he draws comics that are probably a, a, like a bit darker quite a bit darker than that um mm -hmm quite ex extreme in their depictions. Uh, some call would think of it as kind of satire at times, but it's not presented in any way that would indicate one way or another how someone would feel about this. And so for some who maybe are encountering these comics in the wild, they would look mm -hmm. at this and go, this is the work of a serial killer. <laughs> and that's exactly what one uh, police officer thought when he found uh, th this comic at a routine traffic stop uh, of a guy just with some pot or something like that. And he saw yeah. this comic and he was like, what the fuck is this? And this had just like, was like maybe like sometime after uh, like Florida police are like on a manhunt for a serial killer mm -hmm. uh, who's just dispatching people horrifically. And they see this comic and they're like, my God, so th this one drawing is kind of like what I heard. One of those crime scenes is like, maybe just maybe. <laughs> so they even like, they sent people over to this kid's house He's mm -hmm. like, I don't even know how old he is at this point, like 19, maybe early early 20s. And they, they get a blood test drawn. And sure enough, oh, hey, he's not the killer. And there's no evidence whatsoever that says that he is. But mm -hmm. something about these comics just really 
really pisses off these cops. They're like, this is obscenity. This should mm-hmm. not exist. This person's going, if he's not a killer now, he could become a killer one of these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some overzealous prosecutors fresh out of law school see it and they, they, they study the First Amendment, but then also find out ways to really bend that and try to find their way. Because this guy's work could possibly defy all the checks and balances we have when it comes to defending the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, like the work is like depicts like horrific scenes of like child abuse, like a bit of like all abuse, abuse mm-hmm. against everything. There's no sacredness. Everything's uh, available to be drawn. And he just does it. And I mean, the idea that some of this stuff is not art is preposterous because like you see the drawing, you're like, this guy can fucking draw. Like, mm. it, it, he draws, like, in this kind of, like, very crude, childlike way. Like, the images kind of at time are not the most sophisticated. And his writing, it's like, he barely seems to be able to write words properly. But there is a sophistication in the drawing, for sure. Like, it's borderline outsider mm-hmm. art. And they talk to, like, a few, uh, like, people who would would be knowledgeable about art and saying like, yeah, I mean, this isn't my taste. (laughs) Like this isn't anything I want, but at the same time to be trying this, this kid for making just comics that he's selling, he sells. Oh yeah. So one of the things is the, the police, they actually, uh, like submit, say, Hey, I'd like to buy some of your zines. They're really into what I'm into. Mm -hmm. It's so great that someone like is like us doing this, (laughs) like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they, and so he sends it to them, which then they can get them for distribution. (laughs) Even though it's like, yeah, he makes 300 of these and sells them across the world, all 300 of them, to people that, like, would have to be into this to even know it exists. Like, it's not like... Distribution of what? Of obscenity. Like, pornography? No, of obscenity. Is that illegal? Uh, Apparently, if it meets uh, certain criteria, of which there is three, and uh, inevitably, they actually found... They find a jury that does convict him. And uh, Hmm. you get to his punishment... Which mm-hmm. is like he doesn't actually go to jail; he uh, gets probation for three years. But amongst the other like terms of his uh, ter- his probation is he cannot approach anyone under the age of eighteen. Uh, oh, but the best though is that he's not allowed to draw anything in his own home. How, how would you like? Because they because because the police can just come and. Uh, without a warrant, search his house to make sure he's not drawing. There's certain drawing materials he could not have. Which what state was this in? Did you say? Take a take a guess which state it is. Which what's like everyone's favorite state? Um, you got one guess. England. Yeah, England, America. That's the one. Uh, Florida. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's like it really just highlights. Like, it's a continuous uh like, like thing of just like yeah, Florida is the worst. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing good about Florida. Even like Americans, they go, oh, man, that wasn't in Florida I'd be going, but they don't go. They don't want to go there, but people live there. So, yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. it is, uh, it's something like to behold this uh, process. Cause it's like, huh. I mean, now, of course, like, and they have interviews with the prosecutors who are now like, you know, 20 years older and they're like, oh, I have no regrets. We did the right thing. <laughs> like, oh, did, did you? Fuck, 25 years later. Well, what do you think? Was it the right call? Because there's a lot of times I've seen your kind of work, and uh, I I also think lock them up, lock them up, um, lock them up. Well, I mentioned Johnny Ryan because mm-hmm. uh, I don't even think he posts anymore on Instagram because his account has been blocked because mm-hmm. they they uh, go against the community guidelines. <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous because like, well, you don't see anything by anybody unless you follow them. So unless right. you're going out of your way to look this stuff up. 
uh, especially if they're not taking their stuff. It's like, hmm, how? But so it's bizarre. So like uh, the, the the kind of documentary uh, trails off and kind of ends with like, well, you know what? This is like the first artist uh, apparently, like in American history, who has ever tried for obscenity mm-hmm. like success like successfully um which is like baffling so it's like it's only raised his profile and mm-hmm. he's more famous because of that and like no one would have ever heard of his comics but this like high profile case of the time like made him like oh hey you're, you're, this is a thing that happened to him but like it's just it's ridiculous because like this is like part of a a lineage of like the underground comics that were around mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s it's like you know crumb spain rodriguez that type of stuff they were doing this stuff before and this guy just like it just was found by the wrong people right uh, the police apparently being the wrong people if he went to a different state could he continue or like not until his probation was up cuz he probably yes. couldn't leave states well he couldn't leave cuz until he, until until he was done probation Yep. I mean, he was he was monitoring. He couldn't leave, so it's like he has to wait it out. And then finally, Couldn't he just write write his ideas down like in words, and then draw them all in that, three years. Wouldn't that be dangerous though? Like, what if they found that, and then they'd be like, "Hey, I don't like these ideas. Let's get you again. We don't. We don't. Uh... We, we we gotta we gotta make sure that people are safe from drawings." And there's like one story in there uh, about a uh, about a, a grasshopper boy. It's like terrible. It's like horrifying. Like his world is like the, the world is just like this. Comics are just like nihilistic stuff. Like there are like no one. There's no good people. Everyone's mm-hmm. fucked. It's pretty uh, apt. And um, they have one uh, cartoonist, uh, Pete Cooper, who I've always really liked. He he got brought it brought in as an expert and is like having to explain. And like but this is the thing though. If you like see this stuff on your own, it's pretty easy to go like, uh, yeah, that's not for me. But uh, when someone starts challenging you on this thing, well, it's not art though, right? That's when mm-hmm. like people get their backs up against one. They go, whoa, 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 let's not go crazy here. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So that's an interesting thing because yeah, it makes defenders of people who would like otherwise be like, yeah, I don't care about this. And there was like the fight, like the uh, you know Neil Gaiman uh, is interviewed ex- ex- uh, quite a bit in this, just because uh, at that time, like he uh, there was like a, a blowback because Neil Gaiman wrote a short comic that was part of a like a HIV awareness campaign. And he drew mm-hmm. this comic with death, his character death, uh, mm-hmm. showing how to put a condom on a banana and describing the process. Okay. And he was just like, yeah, this comic shop like was like, you know, a cop walked in, saw this freeway. And he was like, they were like threatened. Like if you, if you, if this, these better all be destroyed uh, by the end of this week, or I'm going to like shut you down. Hmm. Because comics aren't meant for this. They they can't be used for anything but uh, superhero delivery and Archie and anything beyond that. So, uh, yeah, G- Gaiman's always been one of those people really involved with the comic book uh, legal defense fund. And this was like mm-hmm. one of the things that they fought on, but they lost. Like, jury trial, uh, if you're innocent, never go with the jury trial because all it takes is a, a real charismatic uh, prosecutor and a really hostile judge and you're fucked. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. This is that, And that's why the, the great American nightmare uh, continues. Where does pornography fall in? Like for the Neil Gaiman stuff. Like so couldn't that could that not just be declared pornography and then be legal? Say that again? So like you know Neil Gaiman's thing got in trouble because his comic was like about a condom. Right. Couldn't it have just been filed under pornography and then it would have been illegal or well it, it, they they fought it. And they actually because yeah. they actually did fight it as saying, like, well, no, this is like not even it's not pornography. Like this is just literally like oh. it's education. Like it's just right. but 
yeah, they, they, they were able to, mm. they had good, they had a good lawyer and they, they actually cleared that up. But like all like during, like that was like a window of time. Um, if people read into like the, the legal problems that were occurring in like the late eighties and early nineties with diamond and, uh, like the Canadian border actually too, like they were mm-hmm. policing the stuff they were looking for it. Like they were really cracking down because that was also like the black and white indie boom. And so you had stuff like Faust, uh, which was just like, I mean, they're outside outlaw comics. People call mm-hmm. them now. Um, but yeah, it's just like this policing of what people are doing, which is like, oh yeah, they're they're making money drawing like weird stuff. And yeah, some of the people mm. who read this stuff, maybe they're unusual, but that's not a crime. But there, there's this whole thing that like there was people that were on the streets that would see this kid, uh, and they're like, that's the serial killer they suspected. Like they think that like because yeah because at one point they they because like in the news coverage they were saying this guy he was suspected as a serial killer, but he was cleared, but. He's also making obscenity, <laughs> but it's like, mm-hmm. but no child could possibly touch this like at all. Um, and now like it's all readily, everything's readily available. Well, that's a, that's a little media hijinks for you, bud. That's right. like, uh, have you ever seen that picture where the police killed that guy? And it was like man with, uh, like they accidentally entered his apartment and it was like man with no active warrants, uh, accidentally killed. And they're like, that's a weird way to say like innocent, <laughs> like, with no active warrants it's like what <laughs> what's going on here yeah it's um i don't know maybe it's maybe it's lamestream media jared has anyone ever ever said that before uh, have i uh no one's talked to me about it that's ever uh, never ever never so uh i mean you telling it sounds like an interesting story is the documentary is good or is the documentary you pulled out the the good parts Well, that's the story that's the gist of it and i think it's a story worth uh paying attention to uh it's so uh actually who directed this i didn't even mention that uh frank hennenlauder the man behind (laughs) basket case brain damage frankenhooker i mean it's the initial surprise wears off and it's like it seems like that'd be up his alley this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I kind mean, of. He, oh, yeah. So, I'd say that, like, the documentary is a little on the, I mean, it's a Kickstarter documentary. The, mm-hmm. the, it, it's a, it's really rough getting started. There's a lot of decisions that I'm like, what am I watching? It feels like mm-hmm. it starts three times. Um, okay. And then it finally gets to the actual story. And you're like, okay. But it's like, it seems like, a mm-hmm. real, oh, and probably the worst part for me is uh, it's narrated by a Jello Biafra. Who? Exactly. There you go. I didn't. I didn't expect you to know, as you are. Uh, uh, you hate punk music, but Jello uh, Biafra. Jello Biafra. Jello Biafra. Yeah, yeah. Punk music's dumb, Jared. <laughs> so anyway, he narrates and he does like these. Like, it's very campy at times, and they do like kind of yeah. like the the like. There's like little like intertitles. It's like uh-huh. mean. Meanwhile, and yeah, that that sort of stuff is. Uh, and they yeah, they read some of the comics out loud, which I've never really been a fan of. Um, but mm-hmm. that's something that goes back to like comic book confidential. What would you, what would you say is better? Uh, this trial of Mike Diana or 2005's the longest yard starring Burt Reynolds and Adam Sandler. Um, what about the original longest yard? Starring no. just Burt Reynolds. Adam Sandler could have been in that. You don't know. Could have. He could have been. Yeah. Might have. Might have. You don't know. I don't know. Huh. Well, I mean, that sounds interesting. It sounds like a. Uh, did you say this was on YouTube or Prime? Prime. Prime. Sounds like a fairly okay use of time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's good that it exists. Mm. Could have been making honey cake, but whatever. Could have been. 
but I'd still be doing that. Yeah. 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 And then you could give it to me. <laughs> Remember? You just want that honey cake, huh? You, yeah, you, I'd are, like are, to try are, it. Are you looking up pictures of it? No, I, I didn't. Uh, Rush and honey cock. Cock. Oh, wait, I spelt it wrong. Uh, yeah, it kind of looks like a tiramisu almost. Almost, because uh, of the layers. I guess, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It also looks like, um, yeah, it looks good. Make that up for me, bud. Whip one up for you? Make one up for me real quick here, bud. I think what, because it, it's like the layers are thin, so you probably could make a couple pancakes and then like cut them through the middle, and that'd be like three layers instead of having to make nine separate pancakes, right? <laughs> sure. Is what I'm assuming. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah. There's a lot of steps, a lot of steps. Sure, but anything in life worth doing sometimes takes effort, you know. Until it's not, like this podcast. No. Yeah. Um, you got any news? I mean, I don't think I did it intentionally, but that uh, Indian actor Iran Khan died today, and like, I mean, I did just watch Wrath of Khan, so like, coincidence? I don't know. It's a bummer, though. It sounds like he was only 50 or something like that. You know him from Life of Pi, Jarrett. And Slumdog Millionaire. And, and uh, the uh, apparently would would have been the proto-goblin in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Proto-goblin. I remember that's uh, that was a news article one time on a website. Iran Khan uh, cast as the proto-goblin. Is that a character in the comic books? So this is a piece of news that I felt okay. did not get a lot of attention uh, uh-huh. earlier this year, uh, back in January. So remember, mm-hmm. uh, remember the Cinema Score grade of F thing? Yep. Yep. So I remember that that was like a big deal because yeah. Mother got it, which is a movie mm-hmm. that definitely does not deserve it. It was the first movie in five years that had received it. Right. Um, previous to that, you had like you know Killing Them Softly and The Devil Inside both get it in the same year. So you yep. know. We're overdue, I guess, because because not only did we have one, we had two movies that got uh, cinema scores of F in the same month. I think I heard about one, but I forgot it now. So uh, the first one was The Grudge. Oh, yeah. That remake that had that really cool poster with the dangling hair. But then, Mm -hmm. like, the following week, I guess, it was, like, the movie The Turning. Oh, uh, is that the one with the kid or is that the one with Blake Lively? Yeah, it's got a kid's head on it. Right, yeah, that uh, yeah, I heard people were uh, said that thing was a pretty big pile of shit, but I didn't even remember this, and then I saw someone watch it recently, and they're like, oh, and then I was like, then I saw, hey, got a cinema score F, and I went, oh, I haven't looked at that lately. And then I saw, wait a minute, the Grudge did too, and it just seems like, I mean, no, I guess people don't expect, or people do expect horror movies to get bad ratings, yeah. mm-hmm. but uh, I guess Mother was exceptional because like it's a Darren Aronofsky movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that is the exception, right? Remember Noah? Uh. <laughs> so uh, so the turning is available on Apple TV for only six ninety nine, Jarrett. Wow. To rent in 4K even. Oh, it's got Finn Wolfhard, your bud from uh, Stranger Things. My bud. Your p- close personal bud? So are you going to watch either of these two films? Mm, I, I guess like, I, if I want to keep up on this list, I have to at some point. You well, how how far in are, that list are you? Like well, half? Well, I've now well, I, I keep dropping as they add more movies. Uh, I've watched eleven out of twenty-one. 
Uh, okay. So yeah, you're halfway there. Yep. So keep going. Keep going. Well, I think I think I actually. Well, see, uh, I really don't know. I don't know if I want to watch a disaster movie. Why not? See, that's my sallow, probably. Is that thing? No, no. What you got to watch is going to be way worse than the turning or uh... no disaster movie like that. That might. Oh, do it. I see. I see. You know what I think would be a good movie for you to watch is really like really uh, dated comedy, like one of those uh, like spoof comedy things, like the one of those Hangover spoofs from like 2012, or is like the Hangover from the Girl Next Door, who was a scary movie or something. Isn't that disaster movie? Yeah, it, yeah, but like one of one of those ones that has a huge title because you know that one's gonna be even a bigger pile of shit. Disaster movie. Who's in that one? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I wonder. Um, Jason Friedberg. I don't know who that is. Matt Latner, Vanessa Lacey, Krista Flanagan, Ike Barinholtz, Carmen Electra. Whoa, Jarrett. Stacked. Yeah, oh, a lot of half-star reviews here. Hmm. Even an uh, old friend of the show, Joshua Frazier, gave it a half a star. Wow. So, uh, and Rohan gave it a half a star. Hey, remember Rohan? They emailed in once or twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are they? Remember now? that? I don't know. Remember that one email we got that was like, it was kind of confusing to understand, and it was really short, and then we never heard from that person again? I wonder what they're up to. <laughs> Whoever they are. Whoever that was. Whatever that person's name is. Well, yeah. Want to talk about a a movie or something? I mean, I guess. I don't have any other news for you. Okay. Unless you want to hear about uh, 2005's The Longest Yard. I'm good. Okay. This holds up. After the break, we're gingering up. We're going to be... To what? to, uh, To be... Men named Jock on the Highlands. Are you talking about the comic artist Jock? I could be. But that's are you, all, are you? That, that's an all. That's all lowercase, right? Oh, it's a hundred percent lowercase. I don't mind Jock's artwork, but the guy they get to color it, I think his name's Chris Hollingsworth or something, like the guy who colors uh, vi- witches with Scott Snyder. That guy stinks. All that and more <laughs> in our review of Tunes of Glory. Uh huh. Uh huh.
Mike Guinness you have never seen before in the most versatile performance of his entire career as the hard-drinking, hard-fighting, fun-loving colonel of a famous Highland regiment with a roistering love for the lassies and a riotous way of showing it. <laughs> now, definitely no. The rough and tender humor of the rugged Scot. Does it sound more like an insult if I see you're a soldier's girl? No, <laughs> oh, it's not meant to anyway. If it doesn't say one hell of a lot for your chastity. A hair-trigger temper that flares into court-martial drama. You bloody wee liar! Father, I'll explain. I can tell you why I'm here. Sir, I've been here. You're a liar! So it's my fault, sir. You keep your nose out of this! John Mills giving another great performance as the new commanding officer and stern martinet. Is that an order? If you like to put it that way. Now look here, boy. Colonel. I prefer to be addressed as Colonel if you don't mind. The clash of two strong wills driven by high-powered emotions into a head-on collision. Me, I did. I've never seen such an exhibition. You'll see me tomorrow. Pipes fall out! From the marching swing of the kilt to the wild skrrl of the pipes, Guinness strikes a glorious new note. From the Highland fling to the fighting spirit of the ladies from hell, tunes of glory resound with royal entertainment. And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. And tonight we're talking about Tunes of Glory from 1960, directed by Ronald Neem. The tagline, RJ, for this film, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. here's a hell of a swell of a free swinging movie. <laughs> what? It what makes, do they mean? It makes even less sense than it did a week ago. <laughs> I, I don't get the free swinging part. Even now, even more so now, having seen the movie, what do they mean? What do they mean? I, I think they were trying to tap into uh, that that new audience. That was... the, all the Alec Guinness, Guinness fans or what? Uh, maybe. Synopsis. Following World War II in peacetime Scotland, Brigade Headquarters replaces Commanding Officer Major Jock Sinclair, a boisterous battalion leader with a strict temperamental Lieutenant Colonel Basil Barrow. Resentful towards his replacement, Sinclair undermines Barrow's authority and damages his successor's reputation among the soldiers. Barrow faces an uphill battle in regaining the discipline and respect of his battalion. Totally, man. That's definitely <laughs> what this movie's about. That is, um, yeah, you read that and you're like, uh-oh, is this going to be about winning the boys back? And, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something like that, I suppose. 
Do you think that the the boys are back in town by the end of this one, or uh, that would that would be playing our lead to or our hand too soon? I guess this would be a, only accompanied to uh, the bagpipes. Their plan, like at uh, the end of uh, Star Trek Two: Rathacon, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I had not seen this movie before. It okay. had kind of come up on the radar a bit because the Blu-ray of this came out last year. Uh, which is unfortunately mm-hmm. not the transfer that's available on the Criterion channel because this movie oh. this movie looks real uh, spotty. Looks very standard def to my eyes. Maybe maybe they are using the Blu-ray and just the movie doesn't look that great. Seemed 4K to me. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. It, it looked uh, <laughs> a little runny. It, look, it looked like a unrestored uh, version being used on the stream. But I'm sure the mm. Blu-ray is stellar. They always they always do great work, right? <laughs> Always, their quality is un- unmatched, Jarrett. So, you start this movie off, and uh, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of where Eagles Dare. Um, it's using like these okay. br- British sound stages and stuff like that. A couple mm-hmm. of, like shots of like an actual uh, castle or base, and uh, we get to see uh, the debut of Susanna York. Uh, mm-hmm. She's sneaking around. Uh, we get the credits kind of overplaying that. The bagpipes blaring, blurting about. And mm-hmm. uh, you're like, okay, what's this? What's this movie going to be all about? Well, it's mm-hmm. about it's about party boys, some real some real Baylog types. Uh, uh, if by Baylog you mean good community members, sure, of course, yeah, that like their big pipes and they like their whiskey, like sure, like good, Those go hand good in like hand. good proper Scottish stereotypes, I don't Scottish know. Catholics, perhaps. <laughs> I don't I don't know how that all shakes down. There's some like. At uh, the Church of England stuff, I'm not sure how they feel about all that. Oh, I'll sort our, it out. Our, our Scottish listeners, let us know. Sure. So we get introduced to uh, old Jock Sinclair, Alec Guinness, mm-hmm. uh, with his red hair, <laughs> orange hair. Uh huh. How did you? Uh, how did you first like respond to that? Because I know what my reaction was. Uh, was it? Uh, was that your reaction? <laughs> Kinda. I was like. What the fuck? <laughs> but I mean, it's not like it's not too distracting. Like it's not like completely like what the hell? It's not like they gave him like two heads or anything. But I was a little taken aback at first, right? You know. So, um, he he's the leader of this uh, this brigade, and he is uh, celebrating. It's his it's his going away party, I guess, of sorts, because he is the acting lieutenant colonel. But he is not a full colonel. And now, finally, uh, this is 1948, so three years after the end of World War II. Uh, mm-hmm. They're finally being shipped off a an actual colonel instead of just giving him the promotion. And it's yep. like he's like he's he hears that he's a he's an Easterner, I guess from East England. <laughs> he, he's from sure. he's, he's an Oxford man, um, and so there's a lot of. Uh, uh, Things that go along with that, being an educated person that's going to be taking the reins and not being like one of the boys do, mm-hmm. doing those Highland dances. A real, <laughs> real rustic style, though. Not proper gentleman-like uh, dances. Well, that's where it all begins, Jared. He says, oh, you you went the college route. Yeah. You didn't come up through the trenches like the boys. Yeah. I guess, I mean, part of it is like, I'm not, I wasn't sure if like when he's talking about Eastern England or was he talking about being out East, as in he was fighting the Japanese Oh. Um, and then he went and took the uh, the bridge on the River Kwai route of uh, being mm-hmm. a prisoner of war. 
Well, I mean, everywhere is east of somewhere. That's true. That's true. So, who knows? Yeah. So they uh, they're having their big party. You find out that uh, the the corporal the of the the big pipe brigade they mm-hmm. uh, he he's snogging the uh, Sinclair's daughter Susanna York, and it's like yeah. oh, and you get a sense like uh oh. That guy's, mm-hmm. a, he's, he's going to really blow a gasket and do something violent if uh, he ever finds out. Which, uh, oh, well, I mean, but he, he said, he said the guy should go for it. Remember? He's like, you got yourself a piece of cherry See. cake. He's, he's like, go for it, bud. Go mm-hmm. for it. Let the, let the dads worry about it. Not you. Wink, wink to the audience. He doesn't know mm-hmm. it's his, uh, his own daughter. I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, so they're having a party. They're having a real uh, drink up getting mm-hmm. getting fucked up and then uh oh the colonel arrives uh the, the night before he's early and of course he kind of was like well no don't worry i'm, I'm only here in an unofficial capacity uh and of course they kind of puts a hamper on the party they try to go back to things but it doesn't quite feel right you start to see uh a bit of the uh, fragile ego of one jock sinclair mm-hmm. um there's some interesting kind of comments where uh, i think there's like one bit that like they follow up through the rest of the movie where someone goes, yes, sir. He's like, sir, will do. And then the rest of the movie, people always say in the affirmative, sir, sir, they don't go, yes, sir. Because it's just, it's just, yeah, you are saying, sir, because you were going to say yes. Uh, I found that interesting. I never even had thought about that before, but Mm -hmm. so that was, that was the more, you know, (laughs) Um, there's a lot of playing around with dialect and languages here. Like, did you know that they don't say not, they just say no. Like, are, like for example, it'd be like, are you not entertained? But they no. would go, are you no entertained? Uh, the only reason I noticed that was because I watched with the subtitles on. And uh, every there's a lot of knots in this movie, believe it or not. Believe it or no. No. And they say no all the time. And I was uh, a little surprised by it. But... Yeah. <sighs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's... Anyways, Scot- what that, were we talking about? That, that Scottish brogue. Brogue. Yeah, so uh, one of my notes here was mm-hmm. uh I kept like looking at their uh their tartan pants, uh the ones that aren't wearing the, the kilts, they're wearing their, their pants. And I guess kept thinking of Kirkland flannel pajama bottoms and Ooh. how they're prepared for COVID. Just like they're doing their job mm-hmm. but they're just in their pajamas. Mm-hmm. Eventually well, you just stop wearing pants all together. What do you mean eventually? Eventually you just get to that point and it's like, eh, I don't I'm not gonna do that no more. Yeah, but I mean I mean you're not doing that already? Well, not at this time. Well, you better get on that, bud. Get into Comfort City, if you know what I mean. So, Jock mm-hmm. Sinclair. He's mm. uh is he a complicated man? Is he a fun, uh, is, is, is he a fun-loving guy? Yeah. Or, or, or does he uh always just want the approval of his uh of his inferiors? Uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a fun-loving guy. No, he's not always into the approval of uh, kind of, but he doesn't give a shit. Like he, he's kind of mean to him sometimes too. So it's right. not always about approval. Doesn't I think he just likes to cool. do his thing. Okay. You know? So, uh, Jock is obviously put out. So yes. Yeah. We had introduced to uh Basil Barrow mm-hmm. and, uh, he, uh, you, you get these like little, little drops of like, Oh yeah, he was a POW prisoner. And then we have Jocks go, <laughs> Oh yeah, that, that sounds like nothing at all. And you go, huh, is that, was that a thing? Did they just not realize that that's like, obviously, I mean, shell shock, 
as they mm-hmm. called it at the time, PDSD, um, was a thing that people mm-hmm. would, would have been aware of. And it's curious because, like, by the end of the movie, they definitely know exactly what's happened because this isn't the first time this has happened. People mm-hmm. uh, do crack under the mm-hmm. pressure, and these are the sort of things that happen. And it's probably a well-told story, but it is curious that, uh, I guess it's like the idea is that, well, you know, stiff upper lip and all that, what, what. And um, so that was a curious little thing, because you throw that out there, you're like, oh. But then, of course, over the course of the movie, they keep playing into that and kind of uh, mm-hmm. steering into the details of, like, you get uh, <laughs> the PTSD audio coming in where uh, it, it tunes out people and then they get louder noises and the mm-hmm. violent outbursts. And the movie, like you read that synopsis and none of that's there. Um, the fact mm-hmm. that, uh, Hey, maybe uh, the military does a number on people just, just a little bit. Well, maybe it's a critique of the military promise of that life, Jarrett, you know, maybe, perhaps. Maybe. So, um, these two, they eventually start butting heads because mm-hmm. Sinclair runs a pretty uh, loose ship. He's got his his best man, Dusty, on uh, a lot of the boys. Dusty being a uh, rotund man. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's he's like, you know, he's, he's, he runs things a little loose. And sure enough, uh, things are supposed to be getting improved upon. It seems like no one's really doing anything in Barrow's eyes. He was very much about, uh, I guess... Uh, strictness and following code of conduct and making sure that the people are getting their money's worth, even when things aren't, uh, you know, the war is not on, there's no battles being fought, but we got to be ready and be Mm -hmm. presentable. So there's a whole thing about dancing. Everyone's got to wake up and be ready at seven 15 in the morning, three days a week. They're going to learn proper dancing because in a month we're going to have a cocktail party. We're going to bring the people from the village up. It's going to be a shindig. We're all going to be very respectful and soldierly. Um, Mm -hmm. And the movie kind of takes like a a leap forward into the month. Like we get to see kind of like the pushback a little bit about the dancing, uh, people getting very like there's a there's a kind of a feelings of mutinousness toward mm-hmm. uh, Barrow, and they're like we we need Jock back. Jock's feeling pretty sorry for himself. We get to meet his uh, his side piece down in the village, uh, an actress, I do believe. Well, she's the lady in the movie is definitely an actress. Yes, because she's playing the role. And her character, though, uh, is it Mary Tillerington? Mar- Mary Tarrington? Kay Walsh, I think, mm-hmm. is who's playing it. Um, yeah, because then, yes, you, you, yeah, that's right. I'm looking at the, the character names. Morag Sinclair, that's Susanna York's character, his daughter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, he sees Kay Walsh. He's like, he drops in and out of, he's not a, he's not a very attentive lover. He just comes by when he's drunk enough, I guess. And mm-hmm. he, he needs a little bit of something, something, RJ. Ooh, a little wipe chair? Um, so eventually, uh, this all comes to a head and you feel like everything's, he's, everyone's working on their best behavior, but oh no, Jock's been conspiring and, uh, (laughs) to make old, uh, Barrow look like an idiot and Barrow takes Mm -hmm. the, takes the bait. He blows up, blows his stack in front of all the men, the village, Mm -hmm. and, uh, has to take a step back and, uh, let, let Jock have that one. But soon enough, Jock riding his high, he's he's going through the village with the men and uh, that corporal from the uh, the band. He's uh, with his daughter and he punches him. He what's the word? There's an expression that they specifically use. What is that? Did he say something? Like, he's like, "You really railed that guy." Uh, like, ba- bashed. He's bashing. He bashed a, him in. Bashed a corporal, and that's mm. uh, apparently a big deal or something. 
in because he was in uniform. He was, in, and yeah. it was in front of man. And that's a court martial right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it looks bad on the brigade when a, a man of uh, uniform higher up is uh, in any kind of altercation or any man of uniform, especially onto each other. Jer, mm-hmm. street clothes might have been fine, but right. you know, wasn't the case. Yeah. So that becomes a a bit where you know. Barrow's got to do something about this, but at the same time, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to be look like a an asshole in front of the men who are obviously already siding with Jock. He doesn't want to come after him because it looks too obvious. But at the same time, this this Jock guy is just running ripshod. He's just, he's going to he's making everything look like a, a disgrace. And uh, there's the one character is it uh, Charles Major Charles who's like the very cold, calculated man who is not a fan of Jock's style, but he sits back, he throws out. Um, words uh he's very straightforward he doesn't really lie but he talks about the side of his face uh he's like well you should definitely do something about it and sure enough there will be an investigation um Mm -hmm. and then eventually though um barrow relents because he thinks well if i do that jock and i will be on good terms but no Mm -hmm. no jock goes right back to being jock being uh, with his men, laughing and blowing them off like it's nothing. Uh, we get a little bit more of that little uh, ramping up of that PTSD, the the the, mm-hmm. the blurring out of audio, not to be able to understand things. He kind of goes to, to go talk to the major again to say, "Have I done the wrong thing?" He's like, "Yes, you have. You've handled <laughs> this really poorly, and now they're running the show, and you've got nothing to show for it. You're, you've done a, a terrible job." To paraphrase, and then we get mm-hmm. this one. We get this like one final kind of a uh, bit where. We see Barrow go up these stairs and then the camera just pans away and you go, huh, is this going mm-hmm. where I think it is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sure enough, uh, uh, we that's the last time we see Barrow alive. And uh, we get, we join Sinclair back with the boys. They're having a drink going, look, oh, where'd he go? <laughs> and then you hear the gunshot and we mm-hmm. all and they all, they all know what's going on. And uh, it's drawn out really well. And then it's like, yep, that's what it is. But then it goes a step further where, okay, well, I have to go up there myself because now I am the uh, the uh, the officer uh, in charge. Mm-hmm. And we get to see uh, a dead body. And, oh. And, and, and we, we, get a, we get we get a nice layout of uh, how a soldier's got to see it. He's got to be able to deal with the living, and he's got to deal with the dead too. Mm-hmm. Um, we get some ghost talk. Talk about ghosts. Uh, yeah, and then it get it. Yeah, there's ghost talk, and then it gets into some real spooky ghost music for oh, a minute. Oh yeah, on and off for the next like ten fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. um, depending on the moment. And then yeah, it, it kind of gets into Macbeth territory uh, uh, yeah. in, in its own way, which is curious because uh, Macbeth is also famously called the Scottish play. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so there's a, a lot of guilt. And uh, that Jock has about this whole scenario, and he's going to send him off in this, in in big style. But apparently, everyone's like, "What are you do, do, talking about? The guy kill, killed himself. Like mm-hmm. he, he didn't die heroically. Why are we? We're going to send out the battalion. We're going to fire like this. We're going to bring up the giant like gun cannon rifle and fire that off for this man who's like who broke. Um, mm-hmm. It seems uh, not appropriate." But yeah, it's all played out, and there's something going off with old Jock, and they can tell that he's gone off into a whole new realm. And yeah, we get down to the his breakdown, and he has to be taken away. And mm-hmm. uh, this, as uh, Letterbox calls it, a hell of a swell of a free swinging movie. <laughs> uh, you go, well, shit, that that took a decidedly dark turn. 
it's definitely a hell of a swell of a good movie for the first like 15 minutes right and and then and then there's the rest of the show yeah it's all fun and games and then it turns into you think that i mean at times you're watching this like i kind of was like you're watching you're like oh yeah this is pretty well acted it's like this is going to be a real uh a man movie these these, mm. these dudes are going to be uh, hanging out and uh, you know circling around one another, and but eventually it's all about like how will they work toward uh, mm-hmm. working together and coming together and having an understanding. Um, will they have like is this like a because at times it was like is this the slobs versus snobs type of uh, tale, and mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, it's a military tale. Um, but then, yeah, then it keeps going, and you're like, okay, well, this is uh, I guess the next step. How will they uh, reconcile? How will they? Oh no. They're not going to reconcile. Mm-hmm. Oh, now he, now he, now he's dead, and and mm-hmm. now and now there's a break, and you realize, huh? This is definitely like it, it feels like a comedy for the like a pretty good chunk of the movie, um, but then it just takes the the dark psychological turn that uh, on Wikipedia this film is des- described as a dark psychological drama, thriller, drama. Oh okay. No. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. But uh, the genre on Letterboxd also just says drama. Drama, yeah. Mhm. Mhm. But so yeah, anyway, uh not we've um had a differing experiences with Ronald Neem here. Uh, yes. Between uh Horse's Mouth, uh which was not so great. Uh mm-hmm. Hopscotch, which was a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we have Tunes of Glory stepping up from Ronald Neem. And I will say that I like this movie. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I thought it was uh, uh, like really well acted. I think uh, this this is that Alec Guinness that uh, uh, that, you, that you hear all about. being very, Smart Alec? Very smart Alec. All Guinness, perhaps? Mm-hmm. So you're saying you had a hell of a swell of a free swinging time. No. <laughs> but a hell of a time. Hell of a time. None the least. Hell of a time. Yeah, no, I was a... Uh, I, I really enjoyed this. I like this movie quite a bit. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, and the yeah, it's interesting because I was wondering about this movie because I'm like, I don't know anything about this movie. I don't ever hear mm-hmm. anyone talk about it. It kind of feels at times like a Powell Pressburger movie. I was yep. I was thinking about um, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp uh, often okay. for some reason. Yeah, they're very different, but for some reason I always thought that Alec Guinness was uh, Colonel Blimp until I actually watched the movie. And mm. so this movie has more of that vibe. And like, I don't know, I I think I. I actually like this movie quite a bit more than Colonel Blimp. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I was wondering why this movie doesn't have much of a reputation because no one talks about Mm -hmm. it, but I think because it came out in this period in 1960 where this sort of movie about like, uh, military life in a like Scotland Highland military base about like two, Mm -hmm. uh, figures vying for control probably wouldn't be uh, getting people to kick down the doors. Um, right. And like, I was looking at the reviews and reception that this movie got at the time from critics. And it seemed to be like middling. Like it seemed like it's mm-hmm. fine. Actually, where's one here? Uh, Esquire's Dwight McDonald called Tunes of Glory a quote, limited but satisfying tale and wrote that it is one of those films uh, which are of little interest cinematically and out of the fashion thematically, no sex, no violence, no low life, yet managed to be very good entertainment. What do you think that guy's favorite movie is, Salo? Dwight McDonald? I don't know if he uh, got to uh, old Salo. 
Um, well, but yeah. the curious thing is like, yeah, it seems like not a lot of people are like really um, in it for this movie. But apparently Alfred Hitchcock called Toons of Glory one of the best films ever made at some hmm. point. What else did Hitchcock call one, some of the best films ever made? I don't know. Fishing with John? Uh, he didn't make it that far either. Like uh, he didn't get that far in the collection? Because what is it like 34 or something like that? Spine? Yeah. Yeah, because he was doing a, a creep through, right? I think so. But before, yeah. the, before the, when he had radio show casts. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, he's that. He's just a hell of a swell of a good guy, that Hitch. Absolutely. What were we talking about? Uh, Tunes of Glory. <laughs> All right, a movie. Right, so uh, nice. yeah. uh, RJ, what did you think of the Tunes of Glory? Uh, I liked it, dude. I, I actually, I was a little bit surprised by it. Um, I don't think it's like one of the biggest dick swinging movies we've ever seen no. uh, or anything like that. But uh, I was surprised by um, for because it's at uh, it's like an hour and 40 some. And uh, I thought it moved by pretty good and there was nothing I disliked about it. And it finished. I was like, hey, that was a pretty good little show. Um, so I was surprised at it, actually, because uh, I found a lot to enjoy out of it. I liked the story between the two guys. I kind of like uh I do like the way it all kind of plays out because it's it's kind of like you said, it's it's almost like subdued a little bit. And the movie, the first hour is kind of like a comedy almost. And then it gets like real sad. And then it kind of has this ending, which there isn't. I don't think there's like a big thing that happens. Like I know Barrows like kills himself. But then after that, it like you see the things. It's just like we're it's like it, we still march on man it's like we're, we just got to keep going yeah. and i kind of i like that aspect of it because it is kind of like a critique of i don't know i i wouldn't even say like military but just kind of like life and establishment in general yeah. where it's just like yeah you just gotta you gotta keep rolling man whatever it's like it's does it suck sure should we have done stuff different probably but what are you gonna do now so i kind of liked um Especially with uh, Alec Guinness, his character, like you can, like he feels bad and you can tell and you're just like, yeah, you were really shitty, dude. And like, you don't think that like he's such, he's, he's, he's like it the whole time and you can tell he feels bad at the end of it, but you're just like, yeah, it's, it's kind of your fault. Yeah. And he, he, he acknowledges it well, too, he, which is, so he refers to it as a murder. He's like, he's like, I killed him. He's like, I was so shitty to him. Uh, well, so, yeah, it's just like kind of like that weird human interaction where it's like, yeah, you just become guilt ridden because of yeah. your act, because of your actions. Survivor's guilt. No. Kind of. Mm. Uh, I, I, the one thing I did kind of wish there was more of is I think I kind of could have used a little bit more of uh, Barrow's feeling bad. Like, because uh, like they show that it's like shitty for him and everyone's kind of mean for him. But I was like, you could have like piled this on even a little bit more and really showed that it was a shit for this guy um but maybe well, that's just because i'm a uh, crazy did you did you want some flashbacks no nothing like that <laughs> like i i do like the way that they handle the uh um the ptsd stuff uh, like i think that's actually nice like nicely done um just like in the company themselves like it, it shows them like freaking out at them and even like before like the first night he's there they just say outright, they're like, we don't really, we don't really like you, man. And they're like, they're like, well, major chalk. We're like, you're always going to be the Colonel here. Mm -hmm. Uh, like the very first night. So you're like, okay, that's cool. But, uh, I do like, um, I think 
it's got a really nice little pace to it where you get the back and forth. And I, I love the setup with uh, Alec Guinness and his drams of whiskey. Like when that happened in the first two minutes, I was like, oh, I was like, I don't know where this is going. But I, I was like, this guy, I was like, this is the character I want to see more of. And uh, <laughs> I was happy. Um, the other thing is, I think this movie looks wicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like the picture itself, but like. It's like we've mentioned a few times. We we've been doing so many black and whites lately that e- just having anything that's like decently presented in color, I was like, oh, I was like, nice. I was like, I, I like I like it. It's it's nice and comfortable for my eyes. Mm-hmm. That's the thing people say, right? Yeah, comfortable for the eyes. Uh, so I um I like the build up to a lot of things. I think some of it's really funny. Like when they do have their cocktail social and it's just guys like outside, just like yelling, like, ah, and you see barrows and you're just like, what the fuck is going on out there? I think that's kind of funny. Uh, so I like his whiskey alcoholism. I, uh, I like the way that they play off of that too, where they're like, what do you want to drink? Uh, he's like, we drink whiskey here. He's like, I'd like a a soft drink. Mm. And they're like, uh, like, this, like this fucking guy you can just tell they're like what a melvin um <laughs> so this is really the animal house of uh military shows yeah. um well i mean that's something definitely i think would have improved animal houses if the, the the crusty old dean had ended his life ended his life i think well i mean after probation where else are you gonna go that reminds me i was gonna t- talk to you about cursed films and the old uh what's his name John Landis, but we'll do that next week. Okay. Um, so anyways, I like all that stuff. The one, another thing that kind of threw me off was the ghost, the spooky ghost stuff at the end where he's like, I'm more worried about the ghost. And then the music's like, that zither out. Yeah. And you're just like, uh, huh? So, uh, a a little more for you, Jarrett. I watched the supplements So uh, there's 20 minutes with uh, old Ronald Neen, and then there's an interview with John Mills, who plays Basil Barrel. Yep. Uh, So in the interview with Ronald Basil, 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 please, whatever you know. It's like I. It's like the only reason I know that because (laughs) this came up recently. I uh, in a role playing game had a character named uh, Basil, but it was like, is it Basil or Basil? I'm like, well, in England, they it's like there's people like they go by Baz. Mm. So I'm like, oh, ba- uh, Basil. And then then there's Basil. Is that kind of like Basil Lerman? Boz. See, there's no there's no rhythm to this stuff. Boz Lerman. Is Basil Lerman from uh, Scotland? Australia? I mean, we're all in the same world together, right? Yeah, he's Australian. Just like uh, director Pierre Weir, whose movie, Dead Poets Society, this movie kind of resembles too. Oh, I could have watched Dead Poets this week. Could have. Oh, well. I watched this instead. Did you know this is the basis for Shrek? I didn't know that. I mean, I actually, if you look at it close enough, most movies are the basis for Shrek. It's true. It's not just hip with kids. It's got deep cinematic legacy. Take up on South Street, Matrice. Mm-hmm. They're all Sallow. Shrek. Yeah. Yeah, all of them. So uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So I watched the interview with Ronald Neem. He doesn't really say much of anything about anything. Like it's 20 minutes of him talking about the movie, but none of it's super interesting. He's like he'll talk about stuff and he talks about the scene where uh, Barrow like blows up at the dance. And he's just like, well, you know, when when you have a camera panning and then it cuts away, it makes you aware of the camera. And so it's a scene where we did that. 
And you're just like, all right, Ronald <laughs> meme, breathing real deep and shit. So he talks about that. And then he talks about like Alec Guinness and John Mills being friends. And then uh, he talks about like great expectations and um, Oliver Twist with uh, Alec Guinness too. And like how they met on one of those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, whatever his he, name is, Alexander McKendrick or something like that. I think he's like the producer of a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they, like was he was saying how at the time John Mills was the headliner, but now Alec Guinness was. And uh, so apparently no one thought they thought the roles would have been reversed for this movie. But Alec Guinness was like, uh, I want to be Jock and um, Mills should be Barrow. And they're like, all right, sure, whatever. So that interview is like not much of anything uh, or it's not even an interview. It's just, it's just Ronald Neem talking about this movie for 20 minutes. But the interview with John Mills is one of the absolute worst interviews I've ever heard. Uh, So it's like, it's, it's, it just shows it's a still picture of John Mills from the movie for uh, like 16, 17 minutes. And it's him talking to an interviewer. And like, what I assume is like, it was either a phone call or like John Mills was just too old. And like, I don't hold this against John Mills at all. He was definitely too old to be interviewed at this point in time, because you can tell he's completely disinterested in this thing. Uh, and he's not the bad part. The bad part is the interviewer. Cause all that guy wants to talk about is Alec Guinness. And he's just like, so, you know, like when Alec Guinness did this in the movie and John Mills is like, yes, yes, I do. And he's like, yeah, that was cool. So like, do you, do you know that Saturday night live with Chris Farley? Where he's yeah, like, do you that remember awesome. when you, that was awesome. That that's what this is like, but like completely un uh, ironic or like not, not done for humor. Like this guy's just like, do you remember Alec Guinness and like what he was thinking? And John Mills is like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. He's like, well, what, what about when Alec Guinness was like, did this as jock? Like, what did you think about that? And he's like, yeah, it's a movie. And we both had roles in it. And the guy's like, cool, cool. And then like, he'll, he asked him like, did you, did you ever the, see star Wars? Did you, you ever see star Wars? Did you did wish you, you, think, do you wish you were Obi-Wan Kenobi? Do you, ever, do you ever pretend like you're Yoda? And he's like, huh? The only ever, the only time he ever actually does ask uh, Mills like a question to him, it's like the most, it's like out of fucking left field shit. He's just like your character Barrow in this scene does this kind of thing. He's like, is you as an actor, did you personally internalize this like as a character development, or is like, or how did this affect your storytelling as an actor forever? And he's like, you can tell Mills is just like, what are you? he's like, he's like, what are you even asking me, man? He's like, just ask a normal question. And then Mills is really old and, you know, disinterested. So it's it's 100 percent horrible. So that is not a good supplement. Uh, I'm glad I dipped into the supplements once again to uh, check out what's going on there. Um, the Ronald Neem one is fine, but uh, I don't know. Very bizarre. Anyways, Tunes of Glory, not a bad little flick is what I say. Not bad. Not yeah. bad. Um, uh-huh. yeah, I think, I think I said earlier something about like producer Alexander McKendrick, that is a <laughs> American director. No, there's some, I'm just reading a thing about the production. The film was initially to be made at Ealing studios with Michael Ralph as producer and Jack Hawkins playing Sinclair. All your favorites, RJ. At oh, the time that it was at Ealing, Kenneth Teenan, then working as a script reader, criticized the first draft screenplay as having, quote, too much army warship in it. That view was shared by director Alexander McKendrick. By the time Kenaway rewrote the script, Ealing had lost interest and Hawkins was no longer available. The film was then picked up by the independent producer, Colin Leslie, who interested Mills in the project. Um, yeah, and so there's like the whole thing about, has, have you seen The Bridge on the River Quiet? Mm. Oh, sorry. No, 
I haven't, and I'm aware of that, and I was going to watch it, but it, is it not coming up soon? Uh, maybe in the Laserdiscs, but it's not. Oh, really, okay. Yeah, maybe in the uh, Laserdisc. Oh, no, you know what it was? Um, I thought it was part in there, and then I was like, oh, whatever, I'll just watch it, because it was on a CTV for free, yeah. like on their app, and I was going to go watch it, and then they took it off, and so I was like, fuck it, I'll never watch it. How do you like? <laughs> how do you like that? That's that's how I operate, yeah. right? Jared? Well, because uh, I guess like the thing is, uh, the Guinness basically plays like the opposite character. Okay. Because um, uh, Colonel Nicholson is way more like Barrow is. Mm-hmm. So it was together, and I guess um, John Mills played a like an opposite type of character, kind of a, mm-hmm. a free spirit in some in which we serve. I think is the movie. So they were playing yeah. against type and playing against one another. As they would pitch in a tagline or something. Mm. Smart Alec. All Guinness. Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a good it's a good one. But you want to hear yeah. from people who hate this movie. Yeah, why not? Let's see what they have to say. Let's bust into it. So, <clears throat> first up is Lance, who gives mm. this movie one star kilts. I mean... Whatever your opinion of kilts is, I don't think it's a fair thing to get at it for this. You know what I mean, Jer? It does look awfully cold, though. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think I kind of like that because it really adds to the feeling of discomfort that oh, they feel. What do you think is up with those canes? Uh, decorational? Yeah. Is how or, I saw or, or it. Ornamental? Like, yeah, like there's no real use to it. No one uses it. They just kind of swing them around. Yeah. A, like a hell of a, a swing in good time. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, a prop, much like Lance Lubelski. You calling him a prop? I don't know. I'm just, maybe. He's got like a ton of ratings, so I'll get into He has over a thousand half-star ratings, so like, what are you going to do about that? Favorite films are Bloody Reunion from 2006, Phantom from 1922, Girls and Gingham from 1949, <laughs> and A Farewell to Arms, Jarrett. Well, Other five-star films include the short about the spork thing from Toy Story 4. Yep. Uh, Ray Romano stand-up. Uh, lots of Toy Story <laughs> shorts. What? Uh, Terrifier, he gave five stars to. Uh, Human Centipede 2, five stars. Um, what else we got in here? Something called Coonskin. I'm not from 1975. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Inspector Gadget, the Matthew Broderick film. We all know how we feel about Matthew Broderick on this podcast. That's five stars. Yeah, uh, Sallow, five stars apparently. Um, well, I think Lance is someone to pay attention to, folks. Uh, I mean, it's possible they also gave other movies five stars too. It's How's possible. that sound? It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, next up is Matt Thomas, one and all a right. half star. Such a strange performance from Alec Guinness. He goes full on Scottish, ginger hair, and a terrible "ock I the no" accent. Mm. Uh, then, for one bizarre scene, seems to be trying to channel Lady Macbeth's out damned spot. His performances derails the entire film. I mean, he says he's going all out Scottish, but is that not like the point? I don't know. People is that get... not the? I find yeah. the 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 UK people get very weird about accents. Uh, this like, is one I, of them. I, I, obnoxiously so. 
Um, mm-hmm. And this is one, I think, an example of that because like I found it fine, but I'm I'm not a Scottish person. I don't care. And like uh, I, hear, I mean, yeah. yeah. No, keep going. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, that's that's a, of all things. That's I, this is a, seems to be a minority view though of uh, Alec Guinness's performance being uh, a problem Too in much. the movie. I think it's yeah. it's pretty good. I think so too. Uh, I think, yeah, it's like you said, people from that general area maybe have more issue. This person's from Ripon, UK. So I don't know what that means. Favorite films include Intact from 2001, Nightcrawler, Hero, uh, the Jet Li movie, and then Hellraiser Bloodlines. These are, so, this is uh, Matt Thomas's favorites. Top in the top favorites. So I don't know if that's to be part of the irony crowd with uh, Bloodlines there or. Uh, or what? Other favorite films include Criterions, and then there's also five stars to things like Mandy, uh, A Star Is Born. Mm, no, the the rest of these are pretty good. But you're not finding uh, any of your uh, favorites. Uh, Arrival, five stars. No. Uh, how do you like that one, Jer? <sighs> Finally, yep. we'll go with Will K, two yeah. stars. This almost feels like a training video on how not to transition management. One, mm. don't humiliate your predecessor, especially if he's staying on in a subordinate role. Two, don't treat your new employees with contempt. Three, okay. don't refuse to participate in their established rituals of camaraderie and team building. Four, mm. don't immediately implement meaningless new rules and regulations. Five, don't lose your temper when the new employees slip back into old habits. Hmm. I don't know. Is that the end of it? Oh, it's kind of hard to feel sorry for the general when tragedy strikes at the end because he's made such a complete mess of things up to that point. It's hard to believe anyone with any kind of leadership experience would be this completely and utterly incompetent. Well, current American politics would say otherwise. I mean, this is also... uh, the military is its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, who's to say? I don't know about this person, Will K. They're, I mean, all their five stars are just Criterion movies like Passion and Joan Arc and Do the Right Thing. But they also have Die Hard with five stars and Princess Bride with five stars. So you're like, what are you going to do about that? And then, like, half-star films are like, I don't know, it's like things like Haunting of Sharon Tate, the John Travolta Gaudi movie. And then Simon Birch, a half a star. I remember that movie being all right. Why is that a half a star? Have you ever seen Simon Birch, Jarrett? I vaguely remember it. Oh, this person just gave La Ventura one star. Ooh, they're onto something, I think. They're onto something. Oh, they gave Ma one star, too, though. Maybe they didn't see the trailer. Oh, I've got one more, one more review here. This, I, okay. I read this uh, just in passing. I was like, hmm, I don't know if I, I agree with this, uh, this professional film writer's take. Derek Smith, two okay. and a half star, from my review. In many ways, the film's central ideological conflict is analogous to that of Dead Poet Society, another film where a leader's unconventionally egalitarian methods defy the principles of draconian discipline. Hmm. And as in Peter Weir's film, Tunes of Glory's professed support for its much-loved, rabble-rousing underdog ultimately proves to be illusory. After Jock punches a young officer who is dating his daughter behind his back, 
the film's championing of the idiosyncratic leader and all of his shenanigans begins to wane, and the sobering final act that follows so strongly undercuts the gleefully rebellious tone of the rest of film that it's difficult to see this diminishing reverence toward Jock as anything but an outright repudiation of his seemingly effective and more humane methodology. In fact, Jock's moral and disciplinary flexibility is tacitly acknowledged as the indirect cause of another man's suicide, leading to a final rallying cry that plays not only as a show of respect for a fallen soldier and fellow man, but a plea for a return to the rigid order and unquestionable obedience that's typical of elite military units. In abruptly changing its perception of Jock and everything he stands for, Tunes of Glory takes an uncouth turn, one that sees Jock oh. embracing the very ideals he's been fighting against. And the celebration of individuality that colors much of the film fades in favor of a tonally jarring cautionary tale of the underlying dangers of straying from the strictures of institutional rules and regulations. Whoa, so is this guy on board with rules? No, he's not. Oh, okay. Because he's saying like this is. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got you. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't. I didn't think that was. I mean, it's all about interpretation, I guess, of what you think uh, Jock mm-hmm. is doing and what Barrow is doing. Because by the end of it, it seems like it's about like people rather mm-hmm. than the institutions themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Like the institution is the institution. Nothing's going to change the military. Um, I don't. I don't even think that. Um, <clears throat> that uh, Sinclair wants to change the military. He's just there and he's running things the way he wants. And then when someone comes back to remind him, oh, hey, this is how uh, the military is run and this is the thing that you don't want, then he becomes like, he's more like annoyed that someone's challenging him and he never got the, uh, he because he his whole thing is he wants to be colonel. He he, mm. he wants that. He, he's, uh, the idea of, he was never like a, a free spirit necessarily. He was just kind of mm-hmm. a fundamentally a, a selfish person like many mm-hmm. people are. Um, and then this other person comes along who is also like trying to placate that and then is broken by that system. And, but he's also damaged because the system doesn't give a shit about mm-hmm. that type of thing. And he kills himself. And then uh, it's, it's another person reacting to that happening because, hey, I'm re- kind of responsible for this guy doing this. Even though it might not have been me, it could have been anything else. But this is mm-hmm. the world that we live in and I'm responsible. So I don't know. This seems like... Um, a drive towards something that I don't think is necessarily there. Every time uh, we do this podcast, it's kind of like, this is the world we live in. And, you know, maybe it's not fair, but it's what we got. Right. You know what I mean, Jer? I know what you mean. This person, uh, I, I mean, I, I agree with you to a point with that too. Like, uh, or not, not even to a point, like I have nothing to say otherwise, like contrary to it. And, I, this person, like, I don't know, their their review is fine, but <clears throat> what are you going to do? Uh, their favorite films are Trouble in Paradise, Mirror, In a Lonely Place, and Cloud Capped Star. And, like, their only five-star films are, like, they are good shows, like Citizen Kane, Fanny and Alexander, Pick Up on South Street, Heat is in there, if you've never seen Heat. But then there's, like, their half-star films, it's, Oh, do you, what? Do you, do you see it? That their half star movie. Oh yeah, we got Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. We got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: Secret of the Ooze. We got What Women Want and The Patriot with Mel Gibson. Like I don't think I don't think any of those movies. My bias aside, are half star films. So that, yeah, that, see, <laughs> well, I see they gave uh, Vivarium one star. 
Yeah, and like and like compare that to Legally Blonde too, and Crash, and I don't know. It's I I think this person, the biggest thing that stands out to me is just like just vaguely skimming their stuff. They're like film critic at Slant, and it's like, yeah, you're exactly the kind of person that I wouldn't yeah. think would be the critic because yeah. it's like a lot of your favorite things are the same as every other critic in the world. It's like I don't think it's because they're good. I think it's because you repeat what an echo what other people say. Or it's what happens when this, like, when you watch movies all the time, and your brain just starts melding into the same mm-hmm. thing because everyone's watching the same movies at the same time, at the same festivals, and they talk to one another and they just like think the same way. Yeah, yeah, and you just—they're all hive mind, and like they just gave Showa five stars. It's like no way Showa's five stars. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way Showa's five star, Jared. There's no way. I'm just gonna say that right now. Whenever we get to it, years from now, there's no way it's five stars. After all nine hours of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I know for a fact it's not as long as Chris Chan, A Comprehensive History. Yeah. So, like, it'll be a walk in the park. Oh. Right? Any other thoughts? I mean, not really. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I, thought it was a, I thought it was a decent enough show. I don't know. It's good. Yeah. Good. Oh. Um, after the break, um, RJ kills himself because he can't do this pod anymore. Oh, and, fuck, I wish. Yeah, and uh, Jarrett, uh, he has a big podcast send-off for his old farmer partner that he drove to this. It'll be the biggest podcast there ever is. We're going to have special guests. We're going to have Max Landis on. We're going we're to have them all remembering RJ and uh, M- Matthew Broderick himself. Mm-hmm. Max Landis, Matthew Broderick, Ed Helms, maybe could come on for a yeah. special uh, appearance too. All those guys that yeah. are just real, real swell dudes. They'll talk about how, because I would introduce you as being like, well, my friend died and he was a really big fan of you. <laughs> and uh, I think it'd be really great for my podcast. You could just like send some words of encouragement <laughs> for the for the morning. Yeah, you say it'd be great exposure for you to help rebrand your uh, your current predicament, Max Landis. And I'll be afraid of the ghost. Don't be afraid of what's happening. Be afraid of the ghost, Jared. What do you think of kilts? I don't know. I seem fine. I've never worn one personally, so I don't really have a huge opinion. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I don't know. They seem something people do. Whatever. You can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and tell us of your indifference to kilts and other manners of clothing associated mm-hmm. with some cultures. 
Mm-hmm. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. Sure. We're on YouTube. We're on Patreon. <gasps> We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. Mm-hmm. And next week, yeah, RJ. Sure. Nothing else. Nothing nope, else. We're that's, not. That's all. That's it. Nothing nope. else. We, we deleted uh-huh. all those ones. Yep. Spine 226. Ooh. Kaneto Shando's Onibaba from 1964. Is that a genie movie? Uh, no. I, uh, oh. I I haven't seen this movie for a long time, but I'm excited for this revisit. So wait, it's not about genies? It's about tall grass. What happens in the tall grass? What happens in the tall grass? Stephen King writes bad uh, stories in it. In the shit ass. Do you remember that one? I remember. Yeah, it's a good one, guys. That was a real good one. Classic. Yep. Well, good night. Yeah. Go boldly where no man has gone before. What's that? Cracking a cold one? <laughs>